Greetings, friends. It's me, your old pal, Cowboy Kevin. Thanks for checking this out. This episode dropped around this time last year in 2020, that is, if you're listening in the future. And this was the first pay-per-view of the now-dubbed Pandemic Era. Obviously, the last 12 months have been really difficult for everyone in the wrestling community and beyond, but we wanted to post this one up for free as we are having WrestleMania with an audience this year, and even though it's probably a long way off going back to anything approaching normality, I think looking back at this, the two-night audienceless WrestleMania emanating from the Performance Center will do nothing if not provide a little bit of perspective on this entire pandemic. This is an example of some of the content you can get over on our Patreon page, that's patreon.com forward slash how to wrestling this show is 100% fan and listener supported so if you want to support how to wrestling and myself and joe as well as get access to nearly a hundred pay-per-view review episodes from aew and wwe going all the way back to 2015 as well as our pay-per-view classic series which has such luminary wrestlemania episodes like our new one that's just dropped wrestlemania 21 where wrestlemania goes hollywood and the granddaddy of them all wrestlemania 17 as well as that we've got the likes of halloween Hub. 1995, December to December 06, Survivor Series 2008 with the Adichiera podcast Billy Keeble, as well as that we've got side ventures on our Patreon page like the The Big Show 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 movie review episodes, and as well as that if you become a $10 backer you can get access to Joe's Q&A video series, all this and more available at our Patreon page, and if you'd like to sponsor an upcoming episode of How To Wrestling and get your project, podcast YouTube series, website whatever it may be, in front of or thousands of listeners, hit us up over at the Patreon page or email us howtowrestling at gmail.com subject sponsorship but for now, settle in and enjoy what will no doubt be a very strange trip back to 2020 and the Performance Center for Wrestlemania 36 you lovely five dollar backer you it's kevin and joe here hello hello and this is going to be probably one of the most listened to reviews that we've ever done there's a great deal of curiosity over what in god's name us or anyone could possibly make of wrestlemania 36 and joe this wrestlemania wasn't like other wrestlemanias because it was so big it was too big for one night wow i mean unlike previous wrestlemanias which definitely weren't too big no one's ever said wrestlemania is too big for one night i'm pretty sure i mean there comes a point when you're reaching the seven and a half hour mark where you could make arguments that wrestlemanias 30 through 35 were allegedly too big for one night nah, but nah. we've definitely decided that this would be too big for one night and also <laughs> it's taking place from multiple locations one of the locations being the nxt performance center which is so strange seeing the wrestlemania stage in the performance center was just so weird thank you for being like freaked out by it still because i think you know you're joining us now if you've not listened to say for instance our wrestlemania primer episode where i think it's the only real time we've had a chance to properly chat about the pandemic and as it relates to wrestling and the lack of live audiences but even a month after this like we've had around four or five solid weeks of empty arena shows and still it is weird yeah like and it never will not be weird we'll look back in this in 10 years in the future and go 
this was so weird. And I think the weirdest thing about it is the fact that it seems only like 85% weird now. <laughs> yeah, I think we've all become like normalised to it. As much as one can. Yeah, like we've got a form of Stockholm syndrome, I think, at this point. Like we're all like, this is weird and uncomfortable and I don't think I like it. But now we're kind of so used to it that we actually, we do like it. And some of us even prefer it. I mean, some of us have, uh, well, <laughs> some of us prefer it. I think we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit later. But like they've really shook the truth of of fans at the moment and like if you're not really into this at the moment it's it's not going to hook you in like wwe is is not casting its net to a broad church as you would usually around wrestlemania season we have boiled it down to the true believers and including those true believers who truly believe that wrestling is the worst thing ever and they're going to watch every single second of it so you know how bad it is i will tell you from the get-go i was really anxious about watching this wrestlemania I thought I'd run out of steam within 30 minutes of night one. And the fact that we had two nights, we didn't know what the cards were going to be. And also we didn't know how long anything was going to be. That had me worried. Yeah, I think it's important to mention that we both came into this WrestleMania with very different expectations. I was very excited. You know, I had no idea what to expect. But I think I, just the chaos of it was exciting enough for me. The unknown of like, how will they handle this? This is going to be so weird. Like, I and, was just, uh, <laughs> I just, I wasn't like anything but really excited for this. Uh, and before everyone's like, well, get a load of Heath Ledger, Joker, Graham over here with watching everything burn and loving the chaos. I mean, obviously, it's less than ideal. Yeah. But you've found some enjoyment in the kind of the the difference and i mean i would say you found enjoyment in the difficulty of the situation but it's forced some certain performers and certain groups to think on their feet a bit absolutely and i think that it's quite often the case in many industries that some of the greatest innovations will come out of certain restrictions yeah and that has definitely been the case here i mean i know you were very very fond of we mentioned in the primer episode of a lot of the stuff that AEW did per, perhaps more so from when the real you know the kind of the more um, strict lockdown measures have come into place when Absolutely. they had like, the heels, you know, taking bets in the audience and the faces, you know, over cheering for the goodies and whatnot. I mean, one of my favorite moments in the last two months of wrestling has been Chris Jericho cut a promo on a drone. Yeah. Because of social distancing, they yeah. can't have people around. It's so funny. And like, Oh, just the idea that they like worked it into kayfabe where they were like, yeah, it's because they don't want anyone in the audience because the nasty heels have decreed it that way. Like, that's great. So, you know, not not for us to, uh, to, to poison the well by rooting every AEW pay-per-view by talking about WWE and now vice versa by talking about AEW extensively <laughs> at the start of the showcase of the Immortals, no less. How have WWE fared? Because I think, for me, there's been highlights, but there has been a more pervasive sense of dread and malaise. Yeah, it's been so strange. It's been really all over the place. I think we had some great moments in the first week of Raw when the lockdown started. Mm. So that we had no crowd there. We had Steve Austin and Byron Saxton doing their weird moment there. And I loved that. I thought it was so strange. Yeah, because I thought they were going to work it into kayfabe that 316 day man, there ain't can't be no some bitches in the audience <laughs> whatsoever. <laughs> but yeah, the SmackDown after that Raw was when things started to go downhill. And it was almost like yeah. they... They understood what they could do with the promos. Like they had a really cool segment on Raw where Roman was like just sitting in the in the ring with Michael Cole and he was being interviewed and it was just very good. We had yeah. John Cena doing his thing. Like it felt like they they adapted quite well. 
And then they tried to have wrestling matches. Kind of. They've really, this is the problem that they've been with, isn't it? They've been between a rock and a hard place because sometimes it's like they'll give you a match and then like there was episodes of Raw and SmackDown, Raw particularly, where they have that three hours to fill. Yeah. Where they're like, look, here's just fucking an hour and a half of WrestleMania from the past. Yeah, here's 40 minutes of the Royal Rumble this year. So they have really struggled trying to decide what they want to do. But like, you know, there was strong like, you know, prohibition of the Simpsons vibes where Triple H was like, no, 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 I'm not worried whatsoever. People don't tune into NXT for raucous crowds and loud reactions. They like the fine work of our team here at the Performance Center in Full Sail University. And then we got that one episode of NXT that was all pre-tapes and character work. Like me and you were like, that would be great if they did that. And they did it and like the ratings went down by like a half. Wow. Well, that's the end of me. So let's get Keith Lee and Dominic Dejakovic doing a really awkward one-act play instead. Oh dear. Looking at the cards over the two nights. Yeah. In the primer, there were matches which I was saying to you publicly and privately... This is going to be great. I'm legitimately excited for this. Yeah. And there was stuff where I was looking at it and going, I, I swear to God, my teeth will be removed during this fucking encounter because I'm so deathly afraid of what... Like, so much of WWE is protected by the bubble of a vaguely interested audience. Yeah. And I feel like they were throwing a lot of the roster to the wolves. Yeah, absolutely. And not taken away from the roster or anything like that, but like matches like the opening contest from night one, like the Kabuki Warriors versus Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross, which at the best of times they would struggle to have the audience invested in. And like they went for 15 minutes. Really? They did. And I, I think the, the match times here, not to get too Greg Turkington on us, <laughs> but the match times here tonight say an interesting story. Because I was a fucker to watch this show with, I'm sure. You were on social media, you know, checking things out. You just seemed miserable. I had to check over <laughs> every five minutes. Are you okay? Oh, you look really depressed. Oh, are you sure? You, do you want to go to bed? Three it's okay, separate I can occasions watch this. when I was like really quiet and you thought I would fall asleep. Yeah. And I was like, no, I am not asleep. I am awake and bored. <laughs> oh, man. I got real bored. And. I will point out the matches that made me react. Okay. Because, you know, often I watch you to see your reactions, but I found this time you were watching me. Yeah. To see, like, <laughs> what, if anything, would make me stir from my fucking cryogenic stasis. Yeah, not much. I mean, there were a few things on it. There were more matches that surprised me than disappointed me. Yeah. But there were a lot of matches that were generously, I would title, par for the course. Yeah, that, that's accurate. <laughs> I was wondering if maybe part of the reason you were flagging slightly is because we didn't have the proper snacks this year. Now, previous WrestleMania primers, we've talked a lot about the careful balance of snacks that you have going into WrestleMania. That's because we're usually playing for a seven-hour event that's catered for a group of people. group of people, exactly. And This This is Kevin and Joe three weeks into a lockdown. Without a kitchen. Without a kitchen, (laughs) you know, and without pants. So, like, (laughs) yeah. I don't know, I was just eating melted cheese from a bowl. I don't care what any of y'all think. (laughs) Yeah, the snack situation this year was dire. Not in a, like a necessary like you should feel bad for us. Just like it wasn't like no- normal WrestleManias for us. Like chickpeas. I mean, like the fact. Look, we dips. have a, we have a gutted kitchen. We do not have a kitchen yeah. at the moment. We have Silent Hill Two background and, yeah. and and an oven. So the fact that I was able to whip out a toad in a hole this I mean, weekend. That was amazing. The fact that I was able to whip out loaded nachos. You know, the fact that we were able to eat three meals a day for the last three weeks. Yeah. has been a miracle of itself. So I won't take any shame from not making three. Oh no, trips. no, no! Of course not. The circumstances were against us absolutely so yeah maybe nutritionally speaking i wasn't where i should be i don't know how much i can talk about a lot of these matches yeah i think that's fair before we even talk about the matches though i want to talk about 
the the intro mm. because I don't want to just scoot over that. Hello, everyone, and welcome to WrestleMania. I'm I'm Johnny Depp. <laughs> Hang on, now I know my Johnny Depp. You got Diamond Joe there, Diamond Jim is what you've got. Honestly, sounded like Nigel McGuinness. <laughs> so it was like your impression of Nigel McGuinness, yeah. where you're like, let's have a pop at the English. Right? <laughs> now, Nigel McGuinness was opening this episode of WrestleMania, and you know what? There was a number of times tonight and the next night where it was like ooh that was meant for the big crowd wasn't it <laughs> like you're suddenly on YouTube on Thursday like hey Miz and Morrison have just happened to release a high budget fucking rap video yeah. even though Miz isn't going to be here tonight at WrestleMania it's just here it's just enjoy have you heard it? have you heard no I've not it's no. really good I mean I, I'm, I'm quite up to date with most of Miz's rap discography let's yeah. just say you know and you were like when you saw it you were like Miz is so good why does he do this more often I was like remember when he did Orange Truth's rap and you were like oh yeah, yeah. he was really bad then he's obviously come a long way yeah so this was one of these things where I was like okay this was meant to be for the big crowd yeah but I shudder to think how this would have went down with the big crowd oh I'm doing an impression we got Wrestlemania here with this rap oh, oh and then the bit as well where they're like alright mate Leave it out. I know you've got your set. I'm turning to Greg Wallace now. Yeah, yeah. Or no, this is Greg Wallace's bigger brother. He's like, oi. <laughs> he would beat up Greg and eat all his desserts, wouldn't he? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> we actually started with a presentation from the chief brand officer, Stephanie McMahon. Yeah, it's like, I ain't going near this shit. <laughs> you go. Same Big with- smile. <laughs> Same with Triple H, to be honest. Like, we Stephanie- need money. We sick. <laughs> Stephanie's out there in her suit, looking very neat, like like she is giving a board presentation or something, like a State of the Union. I like that we had two outfits for the two nights. Yeah. She comes out, she's very professional, she's like, hello, welcome to WrestleMania, I'm excited to introduce you to tonight's events, yada yada yada, and then they cut to this weird pirate-themed vignette video package which they decided to play two nights in a row yeah. verbatim because i'm pretty sure they were gathering well no one on night one is going to figure it's meant to be a johnny depp impersonation even though there's a line like all right mate you've got the guy doing the bloody jack sparrow impression even so, though yeah. you said that it completely went over my it head did. it wasn't <laughs> until the second night that you told me oh, yeah. i was supposed to be jack sparrow i was like no first night no way all the way through all i because in the in the intro package it's like okay they're showing us a bit of everyone here interesting that Kind of, but it was a lot more of some people. Like, there was a lot of Seth battling a giant crab. A lot of Roman Reigns. Yeah, considering he wasn't even in the show. Not a lot of Goldberg in it. No. But at the end of it, I mean, all I was thinking during it was, will they play this tomorrow? Yeah, and they did. And then on the second day, all I thought during it was, I can't believe they've played this again. Yeah. But they obviously put a lot of money into it. You know, those big CGI Krakens. And... Yeah, the, the graphics get done ahead of, ahead of time, you know. Yeah. We, went, we went with the WrestleMania pirates. Jimmy Hart's like, shit, man, what are I going to change it to? <laughs> what, what, what note is it that is not requisitely copyrighted by, by that? By the... <laughs> you know, I mean, Jimmy, Jimmy Hart doesn't want to run foul of any roller coasters that could you know, yeah. assume for, for trademark infringement. And then, so the presentation finishes, and we get introduced to our host of the two nights proceedings, Gronk. Yep. It's Gronkamania, baby. Yeah, Ken Marino's here to uh, take us through things. <laughs> Gronk, who's got the Slurms McKenzie, I'm so tired, sunglasses on. And you know what? Gronk was one of the few things that I think actually came across better with the lack of an audience yeah. than if he was there. Because... It almost felt like with the, the we might as well talk about Gronk's antics now because we're not going to pick up in every bit. But 
they did the storyline throughout the two nights where Gronk and Mojo, you know, traded the belt back and forth. And the fact that Gronk Stone Cold laid out or Truth at one point and yeah. pinned him for the belt, it almost as if they were like, right, everyone's going to boo Gronk. Yeah. Like they, they knew that Gronk was going to get booed. And you had the first segment where he's like, it's WrestleMania, baby. And it was boo. And then the next segment or Truth, you know, he gets knocked out and there's a boo. And then you have Mojo with it back later on. So Mojo Raleigh, who turned face and then assumedly heel by aligning with Gronk and then face again by betraying Gronk. What does Riddick Moss think about all this, Joe? How does that, how does that fit into all this, Joe? <laughs> uh, so Gronk did all right, you know? Gronk did good. I think, yeah, I think Gronk was probably the best person you could have for a weird host of a cursed WrestleMania like this. Like, he yeah. kept the energy up, which I he think did. is so important. Cause... But he didn't keep the energy up to the level where you could argue that this was Gronk's world and we're all just living in it. That, no. is, that was not the case whatsoever. It no. was not Gronk's world. Gronk was happy to be in our world, the WrestleMania universe. And, you know, he was just high energy. He kept yelling throughout the matches and stuff. Like he had cool. the requisite nervousness and confused excitement yeah. that was like, it, it summed up the WrestleMania as a whole. This WrestleMania yeah. was, was Rob Gronkowski all jazzed up but a little bit worried and no one no one knew how it was coming across well can you imagine how fucking awful it would have been if like The Rock had hosted this Wrestlemania it would have been so bad like literally anyone in the wrestling industry who's like considered to be like one of the best it would have been terrible no Gronk was very much the effigy filled filled with stew meat and pig's blood that was thrown to the baying audience (laughs) to be ripped up into shreds it was absolutely fine And, and and I say this as someone who holds no ill will against Gronk whatsoever because he knows absolutely nothing about Gronk other than I assume because he was in the same space as Mojo Rawley that he shares a household with Mojo. That's what I'm assuming, that they're in lockdown together. And I also assume because they're both big idiots that they live in a house that's shaped like a football and that Mojo Rawley and Gronk drive around in a car in the shape of a football boot. Do you think that Gronk and Mojo Rawley would be the worst people you could possibly be in lockdown with. No, because you're in lockdown with them, that's fine. But I think if you met anyone out who was breaking lockdown, the last one I'd want to meet would be Mojo and, and Gronk. Right. Because I feel they'd be like, let's spit each other's mouths, bro. Whoa, yeah. <laughs> I don't get infected. I stay infected. <laughs> so yeah, they're all, they're all hyped up here. And we had our opening contest, as we've mentioned. Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross against the Kabuki Warriors of Asuka and the returning from Japan, Kairi Zane, Japan, which this morning announced a state of emergency. So I'm glad Kairi is away from her husband now. I'm sure she is too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Bit awkward, that one. Look, here are the highlights of the match. I did not feel sorry for anyone in the match. I did not feel so awkward that I had to leave the room. I didn't get, and I got these a few times for the, in, over the two nights, I didn't get awkward goosebumps. Because mm. I get goosebumps in wrestling quite often, and I always want to tell you that. But there were a few times where I got a little bit so awkward that I got goosebumps. And yeah, I, like, I didn't know that could happen. Like embarrassment goosebumps. Yeah, I was like, oh my god, my heart is racing. I feel so bad for these people right now. Yeah. They did grand! It was fine. Asuka, Asuka's, I think, a safer pair of hands than most in this. Yeah, absolutely. This is the time of the noisy wrestler, Joe. Yeah. <laughs> Asuka is fantastically noisy. She screams, she grunts, she makes hard-hitting strike sounds. She fills the vacuum. Yeah. There's no, like, awkward downtime. And she's always, like, so energetic as well, which I feel when you've not got a crowd is, like, so important. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm very well aware of dead air. You know, mm. I, I was on, did live radio for a couple of years way back in the day. Which, honestly, anyone ever asked me, well, how do I get good at podcasting? How can I learn how to, to be more confident at hosting? 
find somewhere to do a live radio show because you will learn or mm-hmm. you will no longer do a live radio show. <laughs> <laughs> so like I get that like dead air is, is an absolute fucking sin and a crime and your heart races when it happens. And the amount of times like where we were watching stuff, even the raw clips this morning where like a big moment happened and then there was just like, uh, you know, just that little, yeah. Whoa! We have them all the time when we record. We get to edit them out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and there was a number of times where those were happening. I was like, Whoa! and I didn't have them here. And I thought Nikki had great fire in her big comeback in the end. Yeah. And Nikki and Alexa winning the tag belts. I mean, that's what you wanted these WrestleManias, isn't it? Where it's like, look, no one really cares about the women's tag straps. Yeah. So have put them on a pair of good guys for now. Grand, fine, whatever. Oh, I just felt really harsh to have the women put on first in this like very empty WrestleMania. Trial like, but it's fire. like, of course they're going to do that. I mean, they had both nights. Women opened the yeah. cards. I think it's really harsh. This would probably would not have. This would have been a, a massive. Definitely would have been like kicked to the pre-show. Would have said yeah, I think otherwise. So. But no, I thought they did really, really well. And you know, there's people who there were people. I'm not going to lie. There were people who struggled in this, and there were people who like had a lot of leg up and bells and whistles to help them not struggle and still struggled. The following match, I believe, was one of those where we had Elias and King Corbin. Oh, God. Which, if ever there were bells and whistles and gimmicks where one guy is like, you know, does a song and the other guy is a king. Like, I mean, come on, we could have figured out plenty of ways around this. Mm. Corbin came out and I felt like I got goosebumps. Just him coming out. You're very Don't take that out of context. <laughs> Baron Corbin came out, man, I got goosebumps because it was the showcase of the immortals. <laughs> and a real heel when he came out, you know. You were very disappointed that Baron didn't come out on a Sudan carried six feet up in the air. Said it on the primer. Yeah. It would adhere to social distancing. Problem is, is that he's got no friends and therefore no one in his household. So <laughs> maybe like all those overcooked pieces of meat and dogs could bring him out instead. Sharing the house with them at the moment. Yeah. We had a little bit of silly stuff at the start with Elias running out and hitting him with the guitar and stuff. And I thought that would have meant, oh, therefore the match will end immediately. But no, they gave us nine of the most WWE, nine of the most, ain't no problem. It's just a regular Smackdown or Raw show with a crowd normal match and it, it died it, it petrified upon contact with the air this yeah this was the most unnecessary match mm. in the whole of the two nights it was just yeah. it didn't obviously it's not going to work you've got baron corbin who i love but he does need a crowd and you've got elias who i hate and also needs, needs a, a crowd. crowd like there's one thing i would have had corbin do and elias do on this which is i would have had them interact with gronk yeah, like, I don't know saying like oh, beat would, the shit out of Gronk. I would love to see Gronk get in the mix more, but it's just literally like you have Elias come out, and he sings a song with Gronk or something like that. They make fun of Corbin. Corbin comes out, hey, what are you doing? You just like Corbin's strength in these trying times is not going to be putting on nine minute classics no. with Elias. The man can talk and can you yeah. know can scratch that itch for annoying heel. Have him do a bit of that, you yeah. know, but yeah, this was time we didn't need. Very important update. I tweeted about this, but I want to say it on this review as well, because I feel I'm not doing myself justice if I don't. Mm. Baron Corbin has a little bit of grey in his beard and it looks fantastic. Interesting that. I think it's kingly, isn't it? Oh, it's so kingly. I tw- When I tweeted about it, I got someone being like, yeah, it happens to all of us. Sorry. I was like, why would you think I'm being like, I can't believe it. He's going, oh, he's going grey. Oh, he should have just stopped that by sheer force of will. I'm, no, it's awesome. Guys, I love I'll, it. I'll just say there's like only like two or three like things which are like you can do to appear hot to the female gaze mm. and like they're not secret. You know, if you go grey, it'll be fine. Roll up your sleeves. Roll up your sleeves. 
yawn so that your top pulls up a little bit and you see a little bit of tummy. And your teeth show so it displays dominance. And have a little bit of grey in your beard or hair. There you go. And obviously, if you're going to wear your Harry Potter pyjamas like King Corbin is... <laughs> His Slytherin pyjamas. Go for pajamas. Slytherin. Because like, girls, yeah, it's true. All women love bastards. They do. <laughs> uh, Slytherin bastards particularly. So Speaking of bastards, yeah. we had one particular unnecessary bastard on commentary tonight, didn't we? Oh, JBL. JBL. Who, I didn't realise, this is a bit of a segue, he wrestled a bear? Yeah. There's an article about that on our website, howtowrestling.com forward slash articles, where you can read all about these various bears that were involved in wrestling. Yeah. Blew my mind. I know. I'm very disappointed that he survived the bear Yeah, match. it's very rare that you will talk about someone having fought a bear and you seem angry, but it's because obviously yeah. you were expecting if someone fights a bear that, I mean, even make him bald like, uh, like yeah, they were hardcore Holly. Holly. So yeah, shame that. Commentary was uh, an issue, I would say, throughout most of the night. I think they struggled with commentary when you had, like, obviously only two teams and they were commentating over probably 12 hours worth of content. Yeah, I heard that some of the matches, I was so confusing because obviously... They they just recorded and re-recorded. and they filmed out of order and it was across, like, a couple of days and so I heard that some of the matches were filmed at like four in the morning yeah, they just went on and on in because their time they were recording like as they were had the schedule set out that was when Florida put in like a lockdown in place thing so they were like right we might not be able to film at the weekend oh, so God. let's make some hay and a lot of the Raw and Smackdown stuff you'll be seeing now coming on, on TV will have already been filmed weeks in advance Right. Uh, Drew McIntyre was very happy to break the fourth wall and be like I beat Brock Lesnar ten minutes ago come on Big Show let's go right now you know that <laughs> oh, that was a good Drew that was <laughs> <laughs> Byron and Tom Phillips died a death. And I, oh, I night think... two is when it happened. Yeah, night two is the worst. They were grand here, but by night two they were dead. I hate it as well because I was literally saying before this WrestleMania, I turned to Kevin and was like, "You know what, Kevin? I think 15, 20 years from now we will look at Byron Saxton and be like." He is so consistently good. He's, he's the Michael yeah, Cole. The Michael Cole. I was going to try and embarrass uh, you by bringing up that you said he'll be the Michael Cole. <laughs> but I really love Byron Saxton. I know but I you guess, do. I guess even under these circumstances, like, I guess under these circumstances, no one can thrive. I'm sure if this is the last 30 minutes of the Vince McMahon episode, it sounds a lot less energetic than the first 30 <laughs> minutes. But we weren't putting on the showcase of the Immortals. Coming up next, a match that was 30 seconds shorter than the one that came before it. And we were convinced that the women were going to headline at least one of the nights. I mean, you get two nights, that's a soft feminist feather in the cap there. Becky Lynch, Shayna Baszler, they put up match number four in the middle of the first night. It was probably not the match we would have seen at WrestleMania. This was a different match for sure. And it was fine. It was fine. It was, it didn't, it didn't break through like some of the other matches broke through. This felt like it was in the box of the empty arena and that Becky and Shayna could have given you a lot more if the crowd was there. Yeah, this match I really enjoyed. It was very good. And they put on a fantastic show. I think my favourite thing about this match was how noisy Shayna and Becky both were. They, they seemed at the time on this card like the noisiest motherfuckers yeah. in the world. Then later on and in the second night, people took this concept and really went to town with it. Yeah. But the mouthing off was great. Mouthing off was great. They didn't do it as much as others, but like... To me, specifically, the best noises they came out with was the physical noises, the strikes, the kicks. You could really hear everything echo. It really kind of, I don't say buried, but it put in stark contrast when, you know, Alexa Bliss, for instance, was running wild and she hit her finisher, that corkscrew, that corkscrew neckbreaker. Yeah. Which like, literally was 
a complete silence every yeah. time. And when I had an audience going, way, you know, just making that noise and going along with it and embellishing it, you really saw the difference between wrestlers like, you know, the, or I'd say wrestlers because obviously I think a lot of wrestlers do have this ability in them, but the style that was evident in the tag match and the style that's evident in this one where obviously Heyman is saying, hit each other, make some noise. Yeah. The clatter of flesh when they were locking up at the start. The strikes with the knees from Shayna. And unlike some other matches we saw here tonight, I felt this one still did its job very much in that Shayna Baszler came across like an absolute killer. Yeah. That she had Becky's number entirely. And Becky just managed to, like, very, it was like a Bret Hart finish that Bre- Becky was fucked and she's just used a little bit of wrestling acumen to outmaneuver Shayna Baszler, the MMA fire. So I like that, that, you know, she was going to get choked out, but she managed to use the, the, the wrestling to, to save her. Yeah. But. I can't help but think on a night, and I'm going to keep saying on a night, but I can't help but feel on a two nights where I was saying in the primer, the best thing about this WrestleMania is that it felt it was set up to build like four or five new people that it felt like a lot of those people didn't really get the big push. Yeah, no, absolutely. Shane didn't seem like a bigger star tonight than she did out of Elimination Chamber. No, same with Rhea. Yeah, well, more on that in a little bit, I guess. Coming up next, a match I was most excited for, I think. Uh, I was other than, other than obviously the Boneyard match and the Firefly Funhouse match. I mean, I think we both said to ourselves, those are the matches that were going to be the most intriguing. Yeah, obviously. And yeah, but one that was just being addressed is like, this is just playing boots and tights. Guy's going to go in there and wrestle. Very excited for Sami Zayn with his friends taking on Daniel Bryan with his friend in the corner. The highlight of this match, Joe, has to be when Drew Gulag got Gronk and Mojo to do a yes chant. <laughs> that was really good. Gulag and Brian, like, golden. Like, yeah. absolutely golden. They're, They're so cute together. Yeah. Like, oh, just OTP. You were showing me some of the stuff they've been doing on social media with the headlock oh, challenges. so fantastic. Drew Gulag's been teaching Daniel Bryan how to do a proper headlock by practicing on like a ball. Yeah. And they've just been like sharing tips. And like the best thing is about it is like obviously Daniel Bryan is like legendary. Like yeah. he is, you know, almost on everyone's Mount Rushmore of wrestling. He's God tier. Yeah. And here he is like very happily and enthusiastically learning from someone from like Drew Gulag who I think a lot of wrestling fans can recognise as being very gifted, but he's not a legend like Daniel no, Bryan. No, he's not even a, you know, he's not someone who's got any sort of a juice or momentum to no, him whatsoever. Not like, at all. You know, so I just love that because it's such a simple story. Wrestler wants to be a better wrestler. Yeah. Finds another wrestler who's better at that, but, you know, like, it's such a great little story. And they both seem to be having so much fun. Like, I think Daniel Bryan loves getting to do th- silly yeah. things like this where he just gets to do really good wrestling with a really good wrestler. Bryan is, is thriving in this environment yeah. I think now this was the point in the show though where I was seriously flagging at this point like I was really ordinary I was like legitimately considering like pausing Wrestlemania just to take a break or something like that and then you had pointed out to me that Adam and his partner Alice they had been listening with crowd noises that they found online in the background yeah, and quite... some other folks have been doing this as well yeah I'd seen a lot of people try this I was like well okay I'll give it a go just to see how it is we tried it for this match this Daniel Bryan versus Sami Zayn match and it was okay there were some bits where it seemed a bit weird where the crowd post seemed... matches and you know the beatdowns and yeah, stuff like that yeah where like normally the crowd would be chanting something and so they're just going Bleh. like for me at the start i was like okay this is weird but it's as weird as it being quiet yeah and then later on 
I kind of tuned it out almost. Like I got, I got very used to it. You said at one point you found it very annoying. Towards the middle, <laughs> middle, it was annoying me. But then I started to tune it out. But then it annoyed me again at yeah. the end because I realized, like, I heard one or two things that Brian said where he was like kicking Sammy in the face. He's like, "You, you did this to yourself, Sammy. You brought this on yourself." And I was like, "Fuck." He's been saying all sorts of shit in this match, and I actually probably have only heard around thirty percent of it because yeah. of this fucking crowd noise. So then I made the the judgment ruling, you know, that the rule would be now that we would not listen to crowd noise in case we miss anything, you know, interesting from the, the verbal standpoint. I'm glad we gave it a go, but I kind of felt, you know, the principle of the thing is we are being tasked with reviewing this WrestleMania, and this is how it was being presented. And this to is us. how it's been presented exactly. If they yeah. wanted us to have crowd noises, they could have piped in their own. Yeah, and I kind of have a funny feeling that if this match with Brian and Sammy, which was, you know, a real fun, you know, fast-paced, lots of silly stuff happened on the outside with interference, you know, lots of really great actual technical wrestling happening in the ring. Like, if that couldn't be embellished by the crowd noise, ones that were awkward and slow were going to seem, like, really weird. So, you know, if you were going to, if you're on the fence about watching WrestleMania and checking out some of it, I, would, I wouldn't personally recommend putting on crowd noises. And I would say that if people are using that as their antidote to muscle through and watch wrestling... Just go watch some classic wrestling. I feel like it it could maybe work better with some matches than others. Like, I really don't think it's going to work with a Daniel Bryan match. When you no. hear Daniel Bryan and you have an audience in the background and they're not chanting yes, it's like, well, this is very strange. Yeah. They wouldn't do this. Who are these enthusiastic extras? Yeah, I think it could have worked better if we tried it with, like, the women's tag match maybe, in the yeah. start, perhaps, because that would be more generic, just, Wah. yeah. But yeah, I wanted to hear some proper chanting, like, this is wrestling, or whatever. Fight forever! Yeah, we, 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 you know what we could do? We could record our own obnoxious wrestling yeah. crowd. Or we can even record, like, a few drunk people who only know one person that they have saw when they were a kid and have come to the wrestling show to ruin it. <laughs> and then they're going to go do some cocaine in the bathroom and get a big pint and shout at that guy who they don't think is very talented. <laughs> we'll do that for you if you really want. Do you really miss wrestling crowds? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Sammy picked up the win with the big halluva kick when Brian got distracted by all the goings-on outside. It was a fun old match. Yeah. It was the match that made me react the most of any of the matches. Like, Becky and Shayna made me react because I went like, oh, with the noises and such. This made me proper, like, they got me with near falls. They got me with, like, you know, cool spots and moments. It made me react the way a wrestling match normally would. Yeah, this is, you know, a solid really good wrestling match I mean I dead centre of the first night as well really yeah. it didn't feel like it yeah if they if they hadn't put it here I probably wouldn't have watched this <laughs> <laughs> yeah I do feel the pacing of this Wrestlemania was quite well done and yeah. it just gave you enough to be like you know it lowered your expectations in the beginning with kind of like the less good matches and it gave you like a d- bit of a taste of what this could be like I mean I, I feel they could have given us on any different day this coming back from the edit would have been like a completely different show yeah definitely it's It's like when you get the director's cut and it's like changes a movie from being like really good to being really shit or vice versa just so happens the whims are lined up with with a good flow here tonight so we had a match that I was dreading next uh, dreading a lot a match which we, we pointed out in the primer would not be as advertised, which is originally a triple threat tag team ladder match for the SmackDown Tag Team Championships with Miz and Morrison defending their belts against the New Day and the Usos with no explanation, not even an address or like not even an acknowledgement that the match itself had changed. Morrison, Jimmy Uso and Kofi Kingston came out as if this was how tag team 
titles were decided. I mean, like, don't get me wrong. I'm way happier there was three people there as opposed to six. Yeah. And if you're going to pick the six and you're going to take three out of them and, you know, I'm picking my kids from a football team, yeah, I would have picked John and Jimmy and and Kofi out of the, the, the six that were lined up. Absolutely, yeah. The handling of the shit with The Miz has been really bad. Yes. And I think the Usos are pissed off. I think... Uh, you know, when 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 this all blows over and if it all goes back to normal, if there ever will be a normal after this, there'll be certain things that will be remembered. And I think WWE's biggest boo-boo so far, it seems, allegedly, is that Miz was around a lot of these guys yeah. while he may have been infectious. But we don't know what's, what's what at the moment. Yeah, it's, oh, it's awkward, isn't it? I feel like a lot of people are kind of pointing fingers and slinging mud and stuff. And like... I just don't think that's helpful at this point. Like, we don't really know yeah. who's responsible, why this happened, how it happened. I mean, I, I, I've I, no issue with the changes in the card and people taking time off and people, you know, being told to take time off. I think the WWE should feel empowered to say, no, you, you have to go home. And WWE yeah. should also be able to l- respond to people saying, I'm deciding I'm going home and Absol- say, absolutely, yeah. that's fine. Yeah. And I think when this comes out, we'll have... On both ends, they've, there's been failings there. And mm. keep this in mind, the information flow at the moment is as clear as fucking mud. Exactly. You know, so we don't know what's what. But WWE have decided to go this route and to promote nights of wrestling where we were getting things that were completely different to what was advertised and built up. The match itself, the idea of three men on a ladder in an empty arena breaks my heart. You know, I've doing a lot of Attitude Era stuff over the years as I have. <laughs> and we've recently done Edge. And we've recently done Edge. There's obviously mixed feelings about the kind of boys in the office saying, let you go and jump off a ladder. Yep. You know, I'm John Morrison. You're in your 40s now. Why don't you go jump off a ladder in front of no one? You know, make a loud. Make a crash. You know, I, just, <laughs> and I, I was really worried that this was going to be an absolute fucking miserable, like someone falling off a ladder and just going splat and then, uh, you know. Yeah. And there was one or two moments where that happened in this match. But not not quite in the same way as it would have normally happened. They definitely scaled it down. They definitely scaled it down. They were safer than normal. It's funny, I didn't go into this worried. Like, in the, in the way that you were worried, I wasn't at all worried. Mm. I was just worried that it would reveal the fucking weirdness of wrestling in a way that was just like... Like, man, there's a lot of human... Like, it, this is, like, really finding out how much human suffering there is going into the thing that you're watching and enjoying. This is, like, literally me whispering all of the side effects of hot dogs into your ear as you're about to load that beautiful, crisp frank into your mouth, you know? This is just known a little bit too much about the dangers while the thing that's meant to be kind of taking your mind off of that is happening right in front of you, you know? See, I was wondering if maybe it would be the opposite problem because when you've not got a crowd and you've got people taking these nasty bumps... It's hard to understand what you're supposed to react with. Like, it's mm. hard to. It's a lot of sympathy when someone's just yeah. going, oh! But, like, I think in a way you empathize more with a wrestler in pain when you've got the crowd going, oh! Yeah. In the background than when you've got just silence. And it just it doesn't seem like it can hurt as much. I empathize a lot with John Morris in this match, and that's because he sweated a lot. Yeah. This was the second longest match of the night, and Morrison was working overtime. 
And there were a few things that John had obviously decided ahead of time he was going to learn how to do and he was going to do them at WrestleMania. Morrison says he likes to set himself just these challenges like, I want to see if I could do you know this tightrope walk or this type of a flip or whatever. And he'll turn his training around that and he'll work on that and that and that and nothing but that to try and make it a reality. And there was obviously there was a few things that he was planning on doing in front of 80,000 people, one of which was literally doing a complete tightrope walk across the top. Amazing. Which was incredible. There was another moment where he did just that beautiful starship pain off a ladder. The you full know. twisting senton, was it? Oh, yeah, baby. Which JBL said reminded him of Mr. Perfect. Yeah, because he's perfect. And Mr. Perfect was always there doing those tightrope walks <laughs> and whatnot. I don't know why. I mean, Mr. Perfect could gargle Jack Daniels whiskey, which is almost as impressive as doing the stuff that John Morrison did in this match. <laughs> Jimmy took the big bump. There was the big bump in the match yeah. and Jimmy took it. He took it off the ladder to the outside, off the big ladder. And that was... Uh, that was sore looking and that was horrible. Yeah. Kofi innovated as you expected him yeah. to. And honestly, it was a really fun match. It, it completely took me out of empty arenas. It took me out of wrestling as it was. It was just a fun match. It was different. It wasn't like a normal ladder match, but I liked it. If we're going to get a ladder match in front of no one, this is what I want it to be. This was great. It had great wrestling. The pacing was good. It wasn't too long. It wasn't too violent. Just safe enough. Just safe enough. <laughs> but not like so... Set- like, we wasn't kid gloves safe Yeah, here, we didn't I get think, like yeah. teased weapons and ladders that like never got used or anything. It was like... Yeah, we got given the moments that we wanted. Yeah. And I think we got a couple of, you know, even though we didn't necessarily want really scary ladder moments, we got a couple of like big impressive top spots that weren't really dangerous, unnecessarily dangerous, like without a crowd, which is kind of like losing its impact then. The phrase WrestleMania moment gets thrown around with such reckless abandon. But I can, you know, this is like you're getting a prototype or a demo of something that was never officially released. This match was like Star Fox 2. It's like it never really actually was released. And you look at it and go, but it's so finished and it's so good. Why did this not... Oh, man, this was ready to go. And you see this match with these spots and you kind of think, yeah, this this could have... This was essentially a match that was primed, ready to go in front of a crowd. Yeah. You know, and a crowd would have eaten up those John Morrison spots. Oh, yeah. When John was signing that contract to come back and eat a little bit of humble pie to come back to WWE... This was in his mind. Yeah, bless him. Bless him, you know. I, I, I feel for people like John, who obviously only have so many WrestleManias left in yeah. them. But I don't think anyone can look back at this and kind of not pick out him to be one of the performers who stood out on these two nights. Yeah, I hope so. He yeah. really deserves that. Coming up next, probably my favourite straight match of the entire weekend. Yeah. As we had Kevin Owens taking on Seth Rollins. This is the absolute definition, Joe, of a match that if it was on WrestleMania in front of a crowd, you know, the match that fills out the main event slots of Raw when Brock Lesnar's not there, when Triple H hasn't got a program going, you know, the actual main event that's not the real main event. Yeah. This usually gets sandwiched in somewhere between hours four and five when the sun is set and people are a bit ornery and their hands are getting a bit sore from sitting on them. And it worked so much better in front of no one. The pay are again. Magic. I'm going to say the pacing of this show was very impressive because after a ladder match, I think that's often the moment where it's kind of like you know I think it's the cursed chalice, isn't yeah. it? No one wants to come after a ladder match because like how are you supposed to compete with big ladder spots? But the way that like this was laid out was so clever because this match was proper wrestling, yeah. but it wasn't anything like a ladder match in that no, it wasn't no. like full of, you know, flips off ladders and stuff. It was 
grunty, screamy, proper sports entertainment. Like, Absolutely. Just really, really, really fun. Oh, and we had some fantastic entrances as well, of course. Seth's robe that yeah, he came out in. Yeah, that was in. really cool. Oh, so good. And I loved hearing Kevin Owens' music without a crowd. It just sounds fantastic. With the silence With the breaks, silence, yeah. yeah. Just really, really cool. Now, we talked to Kevin Owens' episode about the art of mouthing off in wrestling yeah. and how it's something that you and I have been big, big fans of. It's one of these things in wrestling that I didn't really kind of push on you but you kind of picked up independently and then i was like yeah i also love this as well i think it comes from hanging out with you and adam and billy just like that appreciation of grunts kind of wears onto the people around you but i'm talking specifically about speaking not just oh, okay speaking not specifically, just making yeah. noises and i know early episodes we did like own heart and stuff yes. like that we did d-lo brand these are people who would fill in the blanks a little bit and they would say stuff. Whether, well, you know. I think it comes from the fact that Seth was my first favourite wrestler. Yeah. When I first got into wrestling, he was a nasty, nasty heel who was mouthing off constantly. Yeah, very, very verbose is Seth Rollins. And Seth is, at his essence, he's a drama kid. Yeah. This podcast brought to you by two kids who did drama as well. Yep. You know, so <laughs> this, this was very much appreciated because this was one of those Christatunities they talk about where a crisis presents an opportunity this was so much better than it would have been. So much. Oh my These God. two guys who have great characters. You got the fucking family man, the everyman, blue collar Kevin Owens. You got the Messiah who's kind of seems to get free rangers to really go religious with this now. I love Hold it. Hold on. Like when, when Kevin Owens is working over Seth Rollins, he's like, come on, Messiah. Come on, God. Come on, God. <laughs> come on, God. Even Vince would have went, oh, hang on a second now. I mean, I'll fight God, but say, oh, God. I mean, that's a little bit. Of, come on now, guys. That's something crazy here. Just so much of it was theatrical it was yeah. anime as fuck the yeah. camera work was great anytime seth did something and he towered over fucking kevin owens he looked at him with disdain but oh then when God. kevin started like going on the offensive and then seth's like you don't have to do this kevin oh my god like he was begging with him pleading <laughs> with him and all that the finish of the match in the first instance where they're brawling outside and it's vicious and then seth just grabs a ring bell he swings at it and he does that fucking horrible goose laugh. And then he goes, There's your WrestleMania moment, Kev. <laughs> Saying that I'm going to DQ myself in this shitty WrestleMania in front of no one. Yep. That's your match. Good night. Oh my. And I was like, like if that was the finish, I would have literally been like, whoa, I got chills. That is evil heel work. That is going to haunt me for the rest of my days. But you did say at the time, you were like, ah, I really liked that match, but I didn't like that finish. It was I, a bit weird. Because like, it wasn't what the show needed. We the don't, pa- we didn't need any more tomb and gloom than we've been getting. Like. And I think the fact as well that like, I mean, obviously it's very heelish of Seth. It was very effective. But I don't know if I was alone here, but like this was the first match where I was like, oh, I want more of this. Yeah. And then when it ended so soon, I was like, no, this is the best match so far. I need more. I need more. And then Kevin Owens. And then Kevin Owens, he brings it back. So you get Seth building the heel heat, even though there's no crowd there. You end the match early with the DQ. which a is cheap like, bullshit finish. Cheap bullshit finish. But then you get it actually continued then and you get an actual fucking WrestleMania moment from Kevin then jumping off the sign. It was so old school. It was like, this is this is the type of things where like when Jim Cornette's in a fever dream with tears in his eyes talking about how great wrestling used to be. like Or the stuff you hear about the NWA about how they used to like 
really have the people in the palms of their hand. And I felt like they had me in the palm of their hand in a way that they never, ever do. Like, I felt I was completely worked. I was thrown this way and that. Like, I very much was the guy getting his coat on going to the car park after <laughs> Seth, you know, laid him out going, fuck this, you know. Yeah. And then it's like, wait a minute, the match is starting. Maybe I will stay and stab Nature Boy Ric Flair the Four Horsemen <laughs> with my butcher's knife that I've not cleaned. Maybe I will rush the stage and kill them. Like, you know, it really lit a fire. Seth laid out on the table and Kevin Owens going, how's this for a WrestleMania moment? And doing the big elbow off that crazy stage. Like, I didn't even know you could climb up that fucking no, performance center. so cool. And this felt like fantasy booking from... Two indie wrestlers. Who the biggest fans. Who the biggest fans were like, okay, if you could do any WrestleMania match, what would you do? They're like, okay, let's fantasy book it. Like, okay, it's, it's Kevin Owens versus Seth Rollins and there's no crowd because there's a global pandemic. And then we have Seth hit Kevin Owens with the bell and then you have Kevin Owens jumping off the WrestleMania side. Like, it's just so silly and fun and cool but like the wrestling was so good as well there were only a few big beats there in terms of like big spots big mm. gimmicks you know they weren't smashing through loads of tables they no. weren't swinging loads of chairs which wouldn't have worked because it was just after that ladder, ladder match, match. the pacing would have been off the beats were spread out enough that they were exciting when they happened but the actual work that they were doing, they were putting in, was so entertaining because of the grunts and because of just the, the constant dialogue between them. Yeah. Honestly, it was... I'm never going to say the audience gets in the way, but like there are parts of these guys' character that it's designed for the intimate indie audience and stuff that they excel at that they can embellish it a bit and they can take some of that skill and use it for other stuff in WWE. But the fact that Kevin Owens can talk to an intimate room of 10 people or no people... Like, that's not something that behooves you at WrestleMania in front of 80,000 people. Yeah. The fact that WrestleMania, this night, we actually managed to see one of the most excellent skills that you have as a wrestler that you never get to see in WWE. It may, like, honestly, this match invigorated me with wrestling yeah. so oh, much. Totally. And, like, this is what this WrestleMania did. It dragged me to my lowest of lows. It made me question how I could ever what like wrestling in the first place. It made me feel guilty about my love of wrestling. It made me feel embarrassed about my love of wrestling. And then right here, this match made me feel like, yeah, wrestling is the greatest thing in the world. And like, if, if I was to go in front of a jury and say, ladies and gentlemen, I have to prove wrestling is great. And if I don't, the world will end. <laughs> Exhibit motherfucking A right here is yeah. all I'm saying. Because never before has there been such handcuffs placed on people. And never before have they over-delivered in ways. And just delighted. You know, this was amazing. I loved it. It was just, yeah, it was just incredible. And to a point, I do expect this from Seth. Because... I don't expect it from WWE, though. I don't expect and it from I WWE. I don't expect it from Wrestle Goddamn Mania, no, I for don't. sure. I do expect it from Seth, though. Because, I mean, he's... You know, we've, if you listen back to our pay-per-view reviews from the last five years, Seth Rollins' greatest enemy is the audience. Like, they <laughs> and him do not get along. I don't need them at all. No. So <laughs> He's I'm... just there in the mirror. <laughs> eh, eh, eh. <laughs> I don't need what? them at all. What? What? <laughs> so, yeah, I'm not surprised that Seth was kind of like, took this opportunity of being like, right, there's no crowd. I'm going to do all the things I wanted to do with no crowd. But Kevin Owens is so much like, as you say, he's like the people's champion in a yeah. way. Like he, he's such a fan favorite. It's kind of impossible to imagine him doing his baby face stuff in front of no one, but he still pulled it off. And also as well, the idea of like 
you know, they tried to do that story before where it's like, you've never had a WrestleMania moment. Yeah. Like when they did Edge and McFoley, that was the story. Edge is like, I've not been beaten at WrestleMania. And like, you fucked up every WrestleMania you've had. Like, you had embarrassing matches. Your pants were showing there. Like, <laughs> just like, oh. And then it was like, the story was like, shit, if I don't have this, like, my career is missing an important color photo in the middle. And like, Kevin Owens getting his WrestleMania moment in front of no one is like, oh man, there's layers there. Yeah. That's, oh, I like that a lot. <laughs> Coming up next... Or Universal Championship, a match which was changed with special circumstances. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, I am Michael Cole. Braun Strowman will be taking on Goldberg at WrestleMania. It's too big for one night. Those are your special circumstances right there. I thought Triple H said, it was like, no, not everything's going to be on social media. The fans understand that we're not going to spoil the finale. There are two worlds in wrestling. There's the, the world you see on social media and then there's the you know, Triple H always seems very gassy in promos isn't he? Yeah. there's always the the world you see on social media and then there's there's the world you see on TV and I I don't want to give away the final scene of the movie so to speak well it turns I... out the final scene of the movie was Michael Cole saying <laughs> Braun Strowman will be taking on Bill Goldberg at Wrestlemania for the Universal Championship uh, I hate the allusion to kayfabe but calling it social media I was telling you and right you know what Braun Strowman you've been a bad boy what you were saying on social media we've been through this yeah. now you've been a bad boy the rumour is, is that some of the other wrestlers the wrestlers who know shit you know they sat him down they've explained to him and apparently he he understands now that's good I don't know if he's apologised to anyone or he but he's gonna make that's, that's the thing like there's so many yeah indie guy like you can't work in a company with like AJ Styles in it and then yeah. diss the indies you can't work in a company where AJ Styles works and just say the earth is round okay? <laughs> you can't just say that right highlight of this match in the match card graphic we only got to see it once or twice because this match was such a special circumstance it was shown to us once very quickly and then put back in Michael Cole's pocket but Braun's matchup card is him with his hands going raw, and I'm putting my hands out with the fingers grasped like he, he has the world in his hand because it says okay. get these hands. But the Snickers logo was right in front of it. <laughs> so Braun Strowman did come into this match doing his best Kevin Mann after a long shift impression because I like to get a big Snickers and wrap my hands around it at the best of times, you yeah. know. So this match was really fun because Goldberg came out and Goldberg was the performer that I said to you when we found out all this was going down. I was like, this guy's going to struggle in front of this. You know, this this no crowd. This guy is, needs that, surely. Yeah. I, I, I've been filling my time watching some actual wrestling with audience members in it because WWE been putting out a lot of random classic matches on YouTube. And I've been watching them just to kind of, you know, remind myself what wrestling is like, yeah. you know. So the highlight of my week is watching Halloween Havoc 1995 anymore. <laughs> but I watched Goldberg and Rock where he, or the crowd booed and turned on him and he struggled with it. Goldberg seemed fine here. Didn't seem like he was doing anything other than coming here to do his job. Yeah. He, he was much more professional than, this is Goldberg here who, who knows what he's paid to do. And Goldberg came out and he went, shh, shh, shh. <laughs> He's basically whistling like a train. Yeah, it's, you know, you get someone who's like, "Here, lads, come over here for a second. Like, why are you trying to whistle? Like, cool. Like, oi, you over there? What are you doing? Shh, <laughs> I can't do it. I love a crazy ex-girlfriend. The guy's like, "Hey, one second. and he puts his fingers over to the wolf whistle. And he just goes, "Woo!" <laughs> <laughs> you know, like it, it, Goldberg was making a lot of noises. Yeah. And Braun Strowman was anime as fuck in this match because he got in the ring and went, You've never faced anyone like me, Goldberg. <laughs> and I was like, all right, give that man the belt because 
we ain't even seen his real final form yet and I'm already I'm, I'm perturbed <laughs> Goldberg did his finisher four times but then couldn't do his other finishers so then oh, yeah. Braun did his finisher four times and like this is the thing where it's like if you understand wrestling it's kind of like ruined for you because I don't understand wrestling so I was just watching this I was like so Goldberg's probably going to win he's going to do the spear and then he's going to do the other movie he does and then he'll the win Jackhammer yeah and I was like, well, there's nothing wrong with that. Why can't he do that? But I forgot that the jackhammer involves lifting someone above your head. Yeah, just in case anyone had seen Super Showdown where he like picked up Undertaker and then dropped him on his head and then fell on his head. Oh. That's not the way that moves meant to go. <laughs> Which meant that the formula of Goldberg matches couldn't happen. Like his his true weakness is Braun because Braun is so big and heavy that he couldn't lift him up to do the jackhammer. Bill so... could have done... I mean, you know, we, we just reviewed Halloween Havoc. That episode will be dropping on Patreon here very, very shortly. And we saw the Yeti, who's Reese, who I told you is a legitimate seven foot four. And that's where Goldberg learned how to do the jackhammer on anyone. Yeah. That was Goldberg in his 20s. Oh, yeah. And he's like Goldberg 55 his, now. Yeah. yeah, in his 50s now. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to hold against him that he can't pick up Braun for that move. No. I mean, but I'm happy that Braun beat Goldberg. Yeah, I am. You know? Goldberg can go out and manhandle the fiend if someone can manhandle Goldberg right back. As long as it's not the rule that one person gets to do this and no one gets to do it to them, I'm okay with it. Yeah, yeah, me too. You know, I mean, the match was two minutes. It was grunty and slammy and it honestly was as effective in front of no one as it would have been in front of 80,000 people. My biggest criticism of this match, and in fact I'll say it's the the, the first half of Wrestlemania as well there was a lot of bitch thrown around bitch just so lazy I just feel it's I have WWE to... they say it every fucking I know seconds. I have to say it though because it's expected of me and they did say it a lot and I'm just I'm really bored of it I just thought I'd say that again for the millionth time and it's not just women saying it to women it's no. men saying it to men yeah. you're a little bitch someone pointed out as well that like the the worst instance of it of all is when Becky calls people bitch because Becky is Irish. Yeah. And like there are some really good Irish swear words. Yeah, call someone a wagon or a fucking dope. You yeah. know, she was calling people a dope. Yeah. She stopped. No, it's bitch I thought it's now. great, you fucking dope. Oh. No. Oh. I know. But no. No. I remember the first time I was called a dope and what? A dope. A what? A dope. A, a what? You're a fucking dope. A, he called me a dope. Oh my god! What? That's what they've all been saying. <laughs> Ridiculous. Coming up next, a bitch yard match. Sorry, bone yard match. Bonehouse brawl. Bonehouse brawl. And they're serving fish in the jailhouse tonight, folks. And Undertaker is taking on AJ Styles. I ain't talking about no last ride match. I ain't talking about no graveyard match. This here bone yard match, boy. Now I. <laughs> got trolled by adam when he photoshopped a big bone cage oh yeah into a picture of wrestlemania and i thought that was real and i was oh, like oh you thought oh. the the bone the bone punjabi prison was yeah. what we were gonna get i thought that was real so i thought we were gonna get that and i was disappointed Aww. then when we didn't get a big bone cage people loved this match yeah they absolutely adored it surprisingly now folks of the two matches that had you know basically they were cinematic matches let's just call them that i think that's the easiest way to, to describe them cinematic matches i think that's yeah did cinematic matches have we had them before in wwe yes the wyatts and the new day that was a cinematic match house of horrors that was a cinematic match final deletion that was a cinematic match mm. i wouldn't necessarily say that 
Mankind and the Rock in the empty arena match. That's not a cinematic match. No. Even though it has got two cinematic shots at the end, the most of it is filmed just like a regular match. Yeah. This is all filmed cinematic style. Yeah. Surprisingly, the one that has motorbikes, Metallica, and lots of gritty denim was done by the NXT crew. And the one <laughs> featuring lots of mostly unnecessary references to the past that were tongue-in-cheek for super fans was done by the WB crew. <laughs> Kudos to you both for excelling at your different things. <laughs> I thought it was great fun. I loved how silly it was. I'm not not familiar with American Badass Undertaker. Is that the correct terminology? I mean, this is kind of a hybrid taker that was a little bit American Badass, but he had magic powers, so he's still the phenom, you know? Right, okay. So I think he was doing an earlier iteration of his gimmick, but I think when Taker goes back to... Like, when he went back to being phenom undertaker he still did some of the badass things like he still did like the punches the strikes the last ride like so undertaker like madonna when he changes up his look he still pays homage to what has come before it so i would say this is an entirely new undertaker that synthesizes the american badass undertaker mark calloway the person who you see on social media now but also all of the Undertaker that came before. That's why he was able to raise his hands, make fire appear, disappear, and go behind people's back. Because when so, he was the badass, you know, riding hard with Limp Biscuit on that rolling, rolling, rolling motorcycle, he was not magic. Okay. But I mean, this is this is spoiling Undertaker episode if I say any more than that. Right. Okay. Sure. We'll just call him the American Phenom then. Okay. Fine. I did like when, I say I did like, I didn't and did like when he got a big wound on his arm and then he called it a bitch. Bitch? Little bitch? Get off my arm, bitch! You gonna bleed out my arm, bitch? Etc. He likes to say the word bitch, doesn't he? Undertaker was calling AJ Styles a, a, a bitch in this one a fair few times. Oh yeah, for sure. I did like AJ's entrance a lot. Like they came into the old hearse and then AJ came and go, Whoa, man! I was <laughs> in a coffin! Ow! So it seems... A boneyard match is just a match in a graveyard. It takes place in the set of Resident Evil 7, I believe. Not Halloween Havoc 1995. Oh, absolutely not. No. Very similar. Havoc couldn't afford this. Like, you know, I mean, we got a, we had, there was a big kind of a barn gimmick. There was a bit of a graveyard and there was kind of a, a, a yard, I guess, for lack of a better term. What I liked about the match, I liked the, the camera cuts now and then were, were done very, very well. Like Stuff like, you know, them gimmicking Taker bloodying up his arm yeah you know, that was great you know them going through the big panel on the side of the barn that was great taker bringing out the fireworks that was great the five or six times where it was just you know three camera cuts bruh, uh, bruh, oh, camera, cut, camera cut camera cut camera cut camera cut camera cut camera cut so grunty like they could do so little and taker looked in a lot of pain like he was bow-legged joe and just the constant cuts of camera as he was slow. Like when AJ was working over him, it really made me uncomfortable. <laughs> like it was just too long, too slow. I think the match could have probably been half the length and I would have thought it was excellent. See, I loved this. I just think it's perfect for The Undertaker oh, no, to be in a cinematic yeah. type match. I really like the idea of there being, and I hope in the future this is kind of what we'll get a bit more of, is there being certain wrestlers who are just too fantastical to exist in a typical sports entertainment world. Mm. And so every match they have is cinematic. It's a spectacle. Yeah. I, mean, I would like that. But the thing, the caveat I give to you is this. This should be how The Undertaker wrestles from now on. Yeah, I agree. I don't want to see The Undertaker in a normal match. No. I, I loved... don't want to see him in a ring getting hurt. If he no. can be out here 
Like, here's the thing. If people loved it as much as they did, and I don't begrudge anyone who absolutely loved it, it mm. just wasn't really for me, yeah. you know? I don't like Metallica that much. <laughs> or or The Undertaker that much, to be honest. Like, But if you were someone who really wanted to see The Undertaker come across cool, this was for you. So what I will say, Joe, is I think if you are someone who was a fan of The Undertaker, mm. or you're tuning in to wrestling to see what Undertaker was up to and you saw this... This is very much like going to go see Metallica or an, a band that's maybe aged a little bit, but they've got an incredible stage show. Yeah. Like when we saw Brian Wilson yeah. from the Beach Boys. It was a bit sad. It was like he'd obviously been wheeled out. He didn't really want to be there. He was a bit, he was falling asleep a bit on stage. Like he was past his best. Yeah. But he had the most incredible stage set. Oh, yeah. You know, he had Al Jardine and Al Jardine's kid had come along as yeah. well. There were all these people who were just working as hard as possible so you could see as much of the old Brian Wilson and just get that little sense of a magic. And like I felt that if they hadn't if, if Brian Wilson just came out and played a few songs with someone, I would have went away going, geez, he's become a parody of himself, which yeah. we now know is the Undertaker's greatest fear. So they did a great job at embellishing that. Here's what I say to you. If we were going to have wrestlers come back out of retirement who can't maybe get medically cleared to do a full match, why not have them do a match like this? Exactly. Like if At the end of this match, my genuine thought was, well, you know what? If Stone Cold Steve Austin yeah. in his 50s is going to come out, you got to be stopping me from putting him in a broken skull match. You know? <laughs> or if someone comes down to the ranch, you do a few bits and bobs like that, Austin gives you the stunner in the barn at the end, and then all the rats come over and eat your corpse. See, you have good taste. <laughs> I have bad taste. Oh, no, because Joe. my first thought was, ooh, a Vince McMahon match. Okay, that's where he great. he doesn't have to wrestle. <laughs> yeah, and then Vince McMahon uploads his consciousness into the network. Yeah. I am wrestling, like... And then to defeat him, you have to become all the baby faces. <laughs> and the Vince's, and I am all the heels. Come on, guys. We just want some Star Wars in here. Some good, wholesome Star Wars memories. I think one or two moments, there were, like, cuts in it that I thought were, like, like my head went in my hands. Like, when they had Gallows and Anderson show up. Yeah. And Gallows and Anderson showed up with, like, this, like, <laughs> Like, they'd shown up to help The Undertaker and throw him a shotgun. And he's like, nah, Let's just kick some ass. <laughs> but then they all just beat him up with loads of druids. You know, yeah. that, that was weird. They summoned druids from a barn and that was never explained. There are certain of the matches that like over-delivered. I do believe this over-delivered. You know, I think this is better than if it had been AJ and Taker in front of a crowd. Yeah. I think people are happier with this than they would have been with that. Yeah, I think so. I think that, yeah, I honestly, I don't have anything really bad to say about this match. I loved it. I thought it was really good fun. You struggled to get The Undertaker in yeah. his, pre- like, because this is The Undertaker that you've probably seen the last five years when you've been a fan. Yeah. And this is The Undertaker that he's basically said on a documentary now in those five years he was miserable and in pain yeah i feel like with this i finally get to see undertaker the way everyone else has always seen the undertaker which is like he's magical and powerful and badass whereas like normally i just see him as this slow old man yeah I, I love that I get to see him kind of in that light for a bit. That's really cool for me. I do believe we'll look back on this and kind of think the the shift to cinematic matches, which like that's all the people talk about at WrestleMania. No one, no one has kind of gone like how shit WrestleMania was. No. There, there are people who hated this whole show. And by the end of night one here, they were like, that's it. I'm not coming back for night two. But there is buzz. It's not the buzz that you would normally get with a WrestleMania. The buzz that there is are about this match and the main event of night two. Yeah. So... If anything comes out of this, if this makes WB go, well, you know what? Maybe we could give a couple of people a night off once pay-per-view. Oh, we have seasons, Kevin. Pa- well, look, 
as far as I'm concerned, we're never going to get seasons no. from WWE. But if this means that some people, some of the time, can be put into a crew and sent off on detail to go make a special cinematic match, and then they come back and we got this for a pay-per-view, it'll break. I mean, if I had one of these in the middle of a four-hour show, it should break it up something I fierce, Joe. <laughs> it would be great. I'd love it. The music made it... like. And- I'm not a big Metallica fan either. But it's what suits Undertaker in this environment, if not a Metallica Yeah, song. we had Metallica, but then we had like other music as well. We had this like really sad Dear Esther music when the yeah. match kind of got a bit more mellow and reflective. And oh, it was just really cool. I, I really want to travel back in time to tell literally any wrestling fan that in 2020, AJ Styles will fight The Undertaker at WrestleMania in a Boneyard match in the middle of a pandemic with no crowd and will also call him a broken down old bitch <laughs> i i loved it i loved this yeah. i just the, it was fantastic and what a great way to end night one the lack of commentary i also thought really helped with the cinematic nature of it because i think when we've tried to do cinematic stuff before and you've got announcers talking yeah. over it like if you're going to take us out of it take us out of it and like this this match funnily enough was the most effective escape because it was an escape from wrestlemania trying to be an escape <laughs> yeah exactly you know this this really felt like i was leaving my troubles behind you know <laughs> i don't feel like i'm going to come back and watch this match again because i, I feel like there's too much awkwardness in it for i me. really want to i i really enjoyed it. it was great fun i loved how the end of the match was like the undertaker getting into a big digger and then burying aj styles alive it's AJ going, so please don't bury me undertaker <laughs> how many people have said that aj how many have said <laughs> let's move on to night two shall we we did consider recording this in two separate lumps yeah no i've just been to bed and woken up now there that's what's happened like right. you know well you know <laughs> we like to make hay and all that jazz but i figured that if we have a wrestlemania primer episode then two wrestlemania episodes then the pay-per-view classic coming at you and there's other things we want to do this month as well like taz and some people haven't checked out edge yet we may have uh, not poisoned the well, but overfilled it with water. So that's a good problem to have. I think so. Yeah. Hey, look, we're we're, we're able to provide you content. We're going to keep doing as much as possible. But I think WrestleMania, while it may have been too big for two nights, it certainly isn't too big for one podcast. No. So let's move on to night two. You can go to bed now if you want. Starting things off, a match I was, you know, thought was one of the most important matches in terms of the future and the direction of wrestling and and also a match that's important for the fledgling a third brand that now finds itself on television on the USA Network that of course being NXT we had Charlotte Flair the winner of the Women's Royal Rumble challenging Rhea Ripley for the NXT Women's Championship what folks may have forgotten I think I forgot this as well myself is that Charlotte of course was the NXT Women's Champion oh, yeah. way, way, way back in like 2014 or whenever it was. Yeah, yeah. When it was a much different looking belt. I thought this match was going to be, as I said to you, like Sting and Flair in the sense that Rhea is the young upstart. She's got all the potential in the world. Charlotte's the kind of more the veteran now, the, the star. And she sees this threat that's rising up and she's just going to try and snuff it out before there's any chance of that happening because you know during the survivor series stuff Rhea got a few wins over charlotte you know yeah. during the nxt invasion charlotte had her number was had by by Rhea ripley so i like the story of like charlotte kind of got a shit you know i felt like i've beaten everyone on mm. top of the world but this person's coming up and in a year or two she's gonna fuck me up so she decides she's gonna challenge for her at wrestlemania go against the grain and go for the third belt and she beat her yep so mission accomplished there yeah <sighs> Man, that was scary for a few moments there, Charlotte. Like, you know, <laughs> you know, I remember when Ric Flair, like him and the horse were like, there's this, this guy called Sting. 
and we really got to take care of him because he could be a threat. And then they just they fucking laid him out, yeah. boom, and the clash of champions, boom, he beats Put him. In a him. Submission. Uh, there you go, Ric Flair making Sting tap out here <laughs> at the clash of champions. Why? Why, 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 why? I mean, why, I, why? I didn't mind this. I mean, I looked, the match, this was a great match. Yeah, yeah, this the match was, was good. But I'm, I'm talking about specifically about the finish. I didn't mind the finish. I like Charlotte Flair. I, I kind of feel this works well for her. But I realise that's a controversial opinion. Most people do not agree with me and felt that Rhea needed this a lot. I mean, Rhea needed it a lot. Rhea needed something. Rhea didn't need to have her leg worked over and then tap out to a leg submission. Yeah. The whole match her leg was worked. And I feel like with Rhea, since she's been doing this feud with Charlotte, I felt she's come across so much less spectacular. Yeah, I do feel it's a bit of a weird matchup, these two. And yeah. the angle going into it was like, everyone says that I'm so much like Charlotte. No, no, no one says that. Someone said that to you three years ago once. That's not a feud. Yeah. And I just like... I think the first time I really saw Rhea Ripley, because like, I I've, I've saw her here and there, I saw her in the Mae Young Classic, I didn't mm. even remember her, that's how forgetful she was you know, when she first debuted without her gimmick. And I remember watching the war games with her and really being blown away, because yeah. in this match where there were eight women, there was this woman who stood head and shoulders above everyone, figuratively and literally, yeah. and her shoulders looked fucking amazing as well. And she just had this look... She fucking crashed through people. I remember her fucking around. I think Isla Dawn with a... No, Kaylee Ray from NXT UK. This like small person. She just fucking hoofed her across the ring like she was nothing. I thought, Jesus Christ, there's a star. And every time I've seen Rhea wrestle since... Like, I said this when we saw her against Bianca Belair. Like, every time we see her do the riptide or finishing moves, she's doing it against these like, massive women now. It's mm. like, this really low impact. It's like, what is... I felt like if you'd never seen Rhea Ripley before, which would have been the case with a lot of people coming into this, seeing as maybe you don't watch NXT. Yeah. That you'd think that Rhea Ripley wasn't very good. Yeah. And she is. She's very good. She is very good, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't like Rhea Ripley as a person at all, <laughs> but like she's really, really, really a star. She is, absolutely. She's got such a great look. She's a great wrestler, and she, you know, she's Triple H's favourite, so that's something. Yeah. I mean, Charlotte... Charlotte, we've learned from our episode and Rick, Charlotte has got a got an issue with the fan. Like Charlotte has an issue with the fans. The fans have an issue with Charlotte. There's a yeah. lot of fans who have an issue with Charlotte. Definitely. There's a lack of understanding. I don't think Charlotte makes it easier with the way that she carries herself. But you have to remember, she's playing a heel. Yes. And a particular character heel as well. Like it's it's part of a legacy that's been going on for you know a generation before her time. Yeah. Here's the question, like Charlotte being sent to NXT now, I guess, as the mm. women's champion. Do you think that makes that brand seem like really legit and yeah. like you know more exciting? I think it does. Yeah, but I really like Charlotte. So, and and I think, I think Charlotte's kind of fought a lot of everyone else on the main roster. So I'm kind of I'm happy for her to get off there for a while. I mean, that means we won't see her against Becky Lynch yeah, again. Yeah, like I mean, that's good. I mean, the roster could do with it. Yeah, you know, I think there's a lot of people in there. I want to see Charlotte Flair on like Candice LeRae. Yeah, you know, that, that's a match I'm excited. There's a lot of matches that you mentioned that, that do make me excited. I kind of think that's stuff that's all... Anything I'm excited about, it's not excited to happen in an empty arena. Mm. This is something that if I'm excited about, it's three or four months down the line. Yeah. If Charlotte's still there, we're running shows in three or four months in front of an audience, nobody knows. So, look, is it the right finish? It's it's their finish to decide whether it's right or wrong. If 
this just means Charlotte is going to be headlining some empty arena shows for NXT. It, it doesn't really make any difference, does it? Because if Rhea has a win and Charlotte has a win, we're going to get a rematch, I guess. Yeah, definitely. So, And if Rhea is going to pick up the win, I'd rather, I guess, it be in front of an audience than in front of no one. If she's going to lose the belt, she should lose it in front of no one. Yeah. You know, I guess. I guess. Seeing as she's the all-seeing, all-beating good guy... If she's going to be slain, do it in front of no one to minimise the risk of it. Yeah. Like, it's, why, it's why all the title changes happened in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> folks, so, True. You know. uh, th- those, those jaded oligarchs in the front rows, they don't know it. They're not really there. <laughs> Coming up next, there was a match which, when they announced it, I was just shaking the TV going, why are you making this show longer? Why are you bringing in these people from really far away? You took Lana off a movie set that was furloughed for this. <laughs> Bobby Lashley taking on Alistair Black. Why? No feud. No one no one knows why. I don't know. It, I mean, Lana's brunette now. Lana's brunette now, yeah. And I think anytime I see Lana on screen, I try to see if I can correctly identify if it's an O'Polly or a Boohoo thing. <laughs> because I'm pretty sure Lana does actually have an O'Polly Instagram model hookup oh, business. Oh, really? You've been on Lana's Instagram. It, it's all fashion shit. It's like, you know, it's it's you think it's like, oh, Lana's just posing loads and loads of like pics of her and I, and they're like, oh no, this is all sponsored content. Yeah, oh, I'm like, not surprised. Yeah. So yeah, she, she, she's a hustler in that sense. So... I mean, I was happy to see Lana and Lashley actually together on screen again. I honestly love them. Like, visually, the look of Lana with Bobby Lashley is fantastic. Oh, yeah, because, absolutely. Because, like, they both have such a great look. Like, they're both total hunks. Yeah. And they are both very confident in themselves. So, it, like, visually, I, I love it. It's so weird, though, this, this angle. Why have we got Bobby Lashley against Alistair Black? I don't know. The only reason of it, I believe, because the only thing that came out of it was... Lana cost Lashley the match. Okay, I don't care for that. So you had like Lana who was like, no, don't do that. I want you to do this other move instead. Yawn. And then he did another, went to do the other move and he got kicked in the face. Women, right? Always wanting you to do the bloody spear. Yeah. I'm always uh, getting you to do the spear. I just want to do the Dominator, honey. Leave me be. No, you do the spear. Oh, God. Women, am I right? Yeah. Oh, God. It was seven minutes. There you go. <laughs> How about that? So we next we had a match which really, really, really was the setup for the big audience, the big audience moment. You know, this was akin to John Cena getting down on one knee for Nikki Bella, which for me is still the absolute all-time great match and moment that could be ruined by there being no audience. But Otis and Dolph Ziggler, the love of Mandy Rose was on the line here, folks. And the match was all centered around... Mandy making a big triumphant kind of you know, she she makes a big return she comes out to confront Dolph and Sonya and all that but the whole story got set up Joe because the truth was revealed about the love triangle and the fact that Dolph Ziggler stole Mandy away from Otis and this was all revealed by the new mysterious hacker character yeah I I'm confused by this mm-hmm. so we don't know who the hacker is right uh, the hacker is almost certainly spoilers if you care Killer Cross, who was a kind of a serial killer-inspired character in TNA, pretty much as close as the thing we had to a hot free agent at the moment. He's in a relationship with Scarlet Bordeaux, who is uh, another kind of like name that would have been known from TNA and whatnot. Both of them have got like killer looks. I've not seen Killer Cross like wrestle per se. I've seen him do a few promos. He's a great character, and apparently Vince is is really high on him. So they're giving him this like straight to the main roster push. 
it seems where I don't know if you saw there's been a few little glitches on the, yeah. on the background so if that's been them kind of alluding to to this character they've done this whole glitchy hacker debut thing yeah. like three times since I've been watching yes and I think when you first saw it is when we would have had Sammy Callahan Sammy Callahan do it and I think WWE fucked that one up real bad so badly I was so excited for that debut and it just no 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 on that note Impact Wrestling at the moment is one of the few groups who managed to like shoot months and months of TV before this all happened so their shows are going as normal Sammy Callahan has re-debuted with a gimmick that is based off of that hacker thing except except he's in control of it this time like as in his creative and it's really really cool like they're doing things like the lights are going out in the arena because he's there with an ipad he goes ha 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 and he presses buttons and then all the lights go off and then it comes on and he's, he's gone like so they are actually like making it like the show is like sorry we want to show you this package now but we don't have control over the truck the hackers gotten lines for channels and all you know like, he is actually impacting the show in a really creative way right so of course, this would happen in WWE where they're doing the exact same thing now with a bigger budget. Although with a bigger budget, they managed to make the hacker look a lot lower budget yeah. than Callahan is doing in Impact Wrestling at the moment, it seems. So, yeah. What do you think? I mean, you like you like computers, right? Yeah? Yeah, I like computers. This is like GTV we talked about with Vince Russo. Where I, someone shows up and he's like, I know what's actually going on, you know? I even like hacker stuff and the Matrix and like, you know, it's very... Hackers. Yeah, it's very 2002, but mm. I'm I'm fine with it. It's... Mm, I don't know if I like it here, though. It's a bit weird. Yeah, and also without an audience to do the reveal yeah. now. Like, okay, if there's stuff that's in motion, their plates that are spinning, continue to spin them. But during the pandemic, don't get a new stick, a new plate, and put it on and start spinning on. We can do this. Yeah. Like, fuck me. You're going to drop a lot of money on one of the legitimately only free agents in wrestling, Killer Cross, and you're going to, like, spike his debut now. It's different, like, AEW, who have Lance Archer, their new guy, who was already kind of half foot in the door yeah. debuting. You have to... You have to follow up now. You don't need to follow up here. You no. know. And also as well, the Elvis and Mandy thing probably could have been left well enough alone for, for now. But we ran into it with WrestleMania. A singles match with Otis and Dolph Ziggler was a bit it was a bit weird, this. I mean the match itself the highlight of the match was, was Mandy's incredible outfit. That's, oh yeah, god, that, what that was an outfit. Definitely the oh, highlight of the match. Amazing. Yeah, I mean this match, it seemed to be the first match where the commentary was really letting it down. They were talking like it was... F- no, I was going to say darts or golf. No, those guys get into it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> no, they sound interested. No, the commentary was so boring and it didn't help that I had Kevin making fun of it like every two seconds. <laughs> I've uh, got a Dolph Ziggler here. Oh, this. Uh, wow, there's an elbow there. Right in the corner. In the corner and getting elbows like that, man, you got to think that Otis is in control of the match. Oh, man. And you know what? So low energy. Otis, I love. Dolph Ziggler, who's like my love of his... I have to kind of like supplement because you hate him so much. Uh, I love Sonya Deville. I was really happy to see her involved in an angle. I think Mandy is great. It legitimately breaks my heart when I see like someone who naturally plays the vain vapid heel character so well and gets it yeah and now you're turning her into like america's fucking sweetheart i know what like, a waste you, look at that bodysuit and tell me that she should be fucking kissing otis dotovic on the fucking cheek and talking about apple pie i mean oh, that, that of, is the bodysuit of an evil woman joe part of me <laughs> loves it because obviously i'm so happy for otis to get his girl but also yeah i'm disappointed for mandy because i 
yeah. I, I hate. I just hate any time they did it so many times where they've got this like killer, like evil heel lady or whatever it is, and not even someone like, not even someone who's got much of a push. But then they turn them face and they just become this like, hey guys, it's Mandy. I'm here with my boyfriend. I hope I win my match tonight. Hey guys, gonna point to everyone now. And now she, you know what she'll start doing? She'll start fucking skipping when she comes out to the ring. You know, the WWE woman baby face. She yeah. skips to the ring. She fucking points at everything. She Waves. She loves smiling. You know, <laughs> I just, you know what? I, the one way you could do this, you have Otis and Mandy together now, but Mandy continues to be this be like, yeah. this vain goddess who and doesn't he loves understand. Her. And she, because she doesn't even understand that she's a heel the way she yeah. acts. Like, I, I want her just to like, assume that okay well I've lost my best friend Sonya Deville but this big lad will get me stuff now right <laughs> you know I hope she completely takes advantage of Otis and she breaks his heart right and I say that because that is what Mandy Rose her natural trajectory is here mm. I feel like you could get nuclear heat from her from doing this yeah you know Otis is the most beloved wrestler in the he WWE is. so yeah whatever she ends up doing to him it's gonna, it's gonna break lots of hearts. It's gonna break lots of hearts, and it can make a tag team. It can make anyone you decide to put with her in this. Not Dolph Ziggler, though. Not Dolph Ziggler. That's all. Anyone but Dolph Ziggler. Coming up next is a match which I believe I'm checking my watch just finished a few moments ago. <laughs> like the cleaning of a house, it never fucking ends. Edge, Randy Orton, last man standing match. I wanted so much to like this. I wanted so 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 much to be there for edge you know i could have in my ignorance just kind of convinced myself i didn't care but then you and i had to go and spend fucking a week of our lives watching this man religiously learning everything about the fucking sacrifice over those years and the nine years it took for this match to end you know the nine years it took for edge to fucking get back to a point where he could wrestle at wrestlemania and it was a match that bored me to tears and that was 10 minutes in and then it made me angry and then it made me fucking depressed and then at the end I was just like I I don't I want to go to fucking bed I was so fucking miserable after this match I hated it I hated it so fucking much I love Edge more than anything I love the return at the Royal Rumble I have a fucking documentary to watch with Edge called The Second Mountain and I thought this morning might pop that on. I might pop it on. Just see what it's like. Maybe. And actually, I got I got scared. <laughs> I got scared about putting it on because of how bad it would make me feel about hating this match. Oh. And I watched the fucking Undertaker documentary thing, and then afterwards, I'm like, oh, I'll watch the Broken Skull sessions as well. Let's see how broken this dead man really is. You're right. I'm a glutton for punishment as it relates to depressing wrestlers. But Jesus Christ, Joe, this match sucked. I didn't hate it. but how, how, It was 36 minutes. How did you survive this? I don't know. Was Twitter, like, you were on Twitter, so like was that like was Twitter popping at the time? Was lots of fun stuff going on? Some of it was popping. Some people really liked it. I mean, I think me and my folded arms didn't have a great time. No, <laughs> I mean, so I I was really excited going into this match. This is one of the matches actually. I was probably I think I was probably most excited for after the Firefly Funhouse because I love Edge. We just done an episode on Edge, as we said. We moved things around so that yeah. you could. We moved stuff around so that you could enjoy this match so I, I'm, you know what, I'm glad that we did because if you didn't enjoy this it would have been for fucking nothing 
<laughs> but make sure, yeah, you make sure you learn all the context to this one, folks. Because if you don't, this 36 minute will be really confusing. <laughs> I, yeah, I thought Randy Orton would be great because he's vicious and nasty. And I just, I thought we'd get a really, really vicious, nasty Randy Orton beat the shit out of Edge. And it would be really sad. It would, it would work to both of their yeah. advantages. These are guys who, they're both creative both incredibly athletically gifted. I think they excel when there's a story with emotions uh, that resonate. I mm. think Randy Orton is a wrestler who, it's been pointed out in storylines so many times, like gets, you know, complacent and not thrilled if it's a story or something that he doesn't like. I mean, compare and contrast Randy fighting Bray with this here. Like, this is Randy, like, sticking his teeth in something. He thinks this is good. Yeah. But, like, here's the th- I said to you, this is like, right, we're all going around to do wrestling at our friend's house. But their parents are away. Their parents don't know that you watch wrestling. So we have to be really careful. Yeah. So we, we can't use any... We, we can't break anything. can't break anything. But we can't jump off the couch or onto the couch either. No. So it's like, all right. Like this performance center. You know, I was like, build them a, build them a new building to ruin. <laughs> build them a new building so I don't have to watch Randy Orton and Ed spend fucking 20 minutes tangled up in gym weights. So I- slowly going from bit to bit going, will they break this? No. Of course not. They're going to break the performance center. Yeah, I mean, I think we've got a couple of issues going into this match. So the first one, which I identified in the primer, which is my main concern, was that this is a last man standing match, which I historically do not like. Because you don't got them close counts. No. You, know, you don't get the near falls or the, yeah. I find they are generally slow, meandering, a bit pointless, and I get really bored before they finish. And they tend to be at least 20 minutes in length. Yeah. So I was preparing myself you know, even though, I was, as I said, I was excited for this match because of who was involved, I was preparing myself for a long, slow, potentially boring match. Mm. I thought, well, no, Edge is going to be in it, so I'll probably have a couple of top spots and things like that, and Randy will be vicious and nasty, so it'll be fine. But because it was in the performance centre, I think they were very limited in what they could do. I was very excited when it was revealed that they were going to wander around the performance centre and beat each other up, because I thought, ah, oh, great, we're going to get some stuff destroyed. You know, we've often spoken about world building and seeing backstage. Yeah, because, like... It's 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 a living, breathing place that we're familiar yeah. with. And I'm sure a lot of us, especially NXT fans, are very curious to see what the performance centre looks like when it's completely empty. And the fact that no one else on night one or the first half of night two really explored the space other than, you know, Seth and Kevin went a little bit outside of yeah. the, the, the lines there. But I felt like, okay, Edge and Randy are getting to do in inverted commas, the performance centre, which led me to believe that they were going to do stuff that meant that other people couldn't go back there. Mm. So I thought, a couple of tables, walls, breakaways, something gimmicked. You know, Randy one point shook the largest ladder in the known universe and then just proceeded to go over and do a bunch of boring wrestling on top of a truck instead. It, y- you know? It felt like... <laughs> it felt like being teased. I kind felt of, like I was being mocked at points. Like it just felt like we were being kind of tempted with all these like little nuggets of like, oh, we've got a big ladder, biggest ladder we've ever seen. Oh, we're gonna break something. Oh, we've got a gym. We're gonna break yeah, some no, gym equipment. At the end equipment. of the gym, there was that big black wall. Yeah, and they kept kind of like rearing up and pointing like. When I go into that wall, it's like this, explode. I think the building's gonna explode. It's, yeah. it's all gonna fall apart. He's gonna be left like William Regal his underpants, going, "Please don't tell anyone how I live." <laughs> you know that would all that would be left to the performance center. But they keep pointing at it. Like, oh, oh, are these going to? It's like, oh, it's just a wall, like all the other walls. Like, they didn't break it. They didn't but, smash anything into it. I've never seen a wrestling match hit invisible walls before. I know. Like the boundaries were like. 
like we went backstage in a 2k game but it's only because i've got a game shark yeah and you're not actually meant to go backstage yet this was so a you bit, can't interact with anything this is this is the dlc for next year's yeah. game is what it is it's not even for this I swear to God, Joe, there wasn't a single gimmick in the whole match. And you know, I, I said that I felt like I was being mocked. There was a point in the match which made me genuinely very, very, very uncomfortable. Was it in the boardroom when they just like inexplicably started like wrestling on a table and then tripped over some chairs? No, it was when they were caught up in the weight machine. And look, I gotta say right now, like content warning i'm about to talk about like i'm talking about some really fucking nasty horrible shit right now okay so if, if you don't want to hear me talk about like murder don't don't listen right now murder randy orton and edge were tied up in them weight ropes yeah for a long time yeah and they choked each other them for a long time yeah that's true i you know it's i you may know some of the details you may not but chris benoit when he killed his wife and child right that was the methods with which he did it with what a gym with the gym equipment with oh, the weight god i didn't with the know weight cord. that and that's how he took his own life as well oh, now fucking hell i'm just saying we had dark side of the ring do two episodes about the benoit tragedy yeah. which you know You've obviously not watched. You, you're aware of the Benoit tragedy, but you. Well, I know. I know he killed his wife and kids. That's all I know. Yeah, and you knew that he was a wrestler. You know, we, we'll we'll tackle it when we feel we can someday. Yeah. You know, it will something that we will do. But you know, we're talking about like two weeks ago that the new series of Dark Side of the Ring from Vice came out. I highly recommend you check it out. Very very well done. Generally speaking, from what I've seen, quite a well balanced approach usually. And they just did one about Chris Benoit. Now I'm not here to pass judgment on the episode of Chris Benoit and how good or how bad it was or what what if anything had accomplished but he can't help but deny that, that means that Chris Benoit is in the public consciousness a bit more than it would be usually mm. and the fact that this is happening at Wrestlemania with wrestling fans who are really only the diehards run night two here these are the people who are really hanging on we know mostly watching that and the fact that it was going on for a few minutes and then just kind of hit me and I'm not saying that's why I didn't like the match. Mm. It hit me. I re- recognized it. It upset me. And then I put it to one side and I thought, there's a wrestling match going on here that I have to pay attention to. So I'll come back to that. I've only really actually thought about it now. Yeah. It's the least of the match's problems in many respects. It speaks to a lack of editorial oversight in this match. Yeah. Because I don't know if you could tell, when they went backstage, there's a few times where we, we snipped between and you and I looked at each other and it was like, that seemed a little bit rough, that cut there. Oh, yeah, no, for sure. It was like, and that was a weird thing about both nights of WrestleMania was that it was very obviously heavily edited, but lots of mistakes were left in. I mean, edited in the sense that you could tell the bits were coming to you from different times, different places. That much was obvious. This was the first match, though, where there was literally like a jump scare. Like when they went from one part of the gym to the to the next area, like it felt like a jump scare. Like it like it was Ed Wood, like they just went cut and he was there. Like mm. it, it and apparently this is just from what I've read from some journalists who've reported on this now. But apparently they had like ten cameras in there. You could see there were a lot of camera people. There were a lot of people there at WrestleMania. Yeah, I know. There not, were a lot of people. Definitely weren't social distancing. Yeah, a lot more people than you saw at Raw or SmackDown. Almost as many people as there were lasers. Yeah. <laughs> They're trying to shine them in your eyes so you couldn't count how many people there were. <laughs> But there were so many camera cuts and there were so many camera people there that I think legitimately they thought, we don't know how to shoot this. Shoot it from every angle. Yeah. I, I've done enough student films yeah, yeah. to know the old, we don't know how to do this, but we've got four cameras and four people. So let's shoot from four angles and then we can, we can make some out of this, right? Because we've got every angle covered. Hence the phrase, we've got it covered from every angle. Yeah. Surely this will look great. It didn't. It looked like they hastily put together what they could and 
they left in around 20 minutes too much. Yeah, it was way too long. The pacing was terrible. Randy Orton wasn't particularly vicious. No. Edge bringing out the tears at the end. Which seemed just like a waste, Where to be like, honest. he's like, don't fucking count. He's like, like, what are you thinking about having this match? Because I want to cry right now yeah. as well. Like, like, he's obviously done, you know, it's a great performance he put on. I admire him for that. You know, great skill, great acting chops. But, wow. Would anyone have begrudged either of these men if they just turned and they said, I've waited nine years for this. And I know it pains you, but we got to wait a little bit more. Yeah, to do and Ra- it right. Randy, I'll do it right. But I don't want to do this when no one... You know, I don't know. You know, there's justification to do it either way. But I just kind of feel like this shouldn't have happened. This this was the only match where I watched it. And I truly felt you have done a disservice to these performers and to the fans by showing this match. I genuinely feel that. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like I'm overreacting. Like... Were you were you bored when you watched this? There were definitely moments where I was like, "Yeah, this is too long. Did, I'm a bit bored." Did it make you react at any point though? Did it oh, make yeah. you feel like, "Wow"? Well, it was exciting for me because I got to see, you know, in the performance center, and you know, I got to see Edge wrestle, and they did do some. You know, they went to some cool places. They went to like Edge looked great. Edge looked great. They went on to a like a what was that thing where the big ladder was? Oh, they went on top of a big rig, like a big truck. Yeah, which is cool. Uh, I liked the wrestling they did on the big truck, and they, you know, they did try and interact with their surroundings. My biggest criticism is the fact that like there was no impact on the world. Nothing no. broke. Nothing shattered. There was no like exciting like ah, you could only do that with that weapon. You've or got whatever. the blood feud, and it's also the note: don't mess up this place because my parents are coming. Yeah. You know, how, how big a party is it going to be then, guys? Or like, you know? <laughs> or like imagine when you play like a wrestling game and you've got all these really cool like weapons and gimmicks lying around. But you you, you can't interact with any of them. They're just like prop set design. Yeah, so it's basically playing a 2K game then. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought there'd be special grapples. No. 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 You're thinking of older wrestling, not here. And I've got to mention, there was a particular moment that oh, had me... Oh, God. This is the moment where I was just like past the fucking point of no return <laughs> this is the funniest moment of the whole the whole two nights which was this demon cow sound i don't know who made it it's both of them at the same time was it because they both went ah, but because they both did it they did it like in harmony they did it in harmony while they were both slightly wheezy and high pitched so they went ah. <laughs> it was beautiful yeah, but not Stop har- don't harmonize please oh god oh dear and then the commentary as well she we can't not mention it they were falling asleep yeah. like that's that that's the biggest crime of all i think if we had had mario they, Ranallo, they were so bad if we had someone like mario Ranallo on commentary going mamma mia like oh my god it would have been voice. A, yeah it would have been great and it would have made such a big difference like the announcers had the energy of someone who was uncomfortable with something but also very bored. I'd love to be able to get the commentary for that match as like a sleep track so I can listen to it when I'm trying to like fall asleep in bed. This is, this is, this is Byron Saxton. Slowly <laughs> announcing, oh my God, look at Edge. This, this is so boring. And you're just watching it and it just keeps going on and on. This is Tom Phillips and Randy Orton is going for another headlock. <laughs> Oh, Joe, it was so bad. I fucking hated it. I, I, you know what? Kudos to WWE, because you've somehow found a way to make me more filled with anticipation for when Edge finally actually gets to wrestle and not just fucking 
do a pie fight at his dad's house. Aww. You know, what on all the resources that they have and all the property that they own, they couldn't ruin one of them. Yeah. Why did you burn down Sister Abigail's shack? They sh- these lads could have run through it. Randy, you, we had kind of nice things because of this. You didn't burn down that shack. You could have broken that dilapidated shack in a match with Edge instead. And that's the trouble, I guess, with the limitations they had. You know, they had to film in the performance center, which they are going to rely on probably for the next few months. For yeah, because there's lots. This this performance center is still operational. Yeah, and still a place of business. So they can't trash it. But like, they could have brought in equipment to trash, like, and then cleaned it up afterwards. That wouldn't have been impossible to do they could have just made it a shorter match and done it in the ring they with a couple a of gimmicks match. yeah you know but here we are coming up next <laughs> let's see if you'll correctly identify this man this time street profits taking on angel garza and who's this guy who, who he looks who is that it's austin theory completely different Joe every time i see him four. Oh, and four! Single time I see, I swear you're just showing me different men. We watched the Raw clips before this, and they literally had a rematch. The exact exact same, the same tights, they probably recorded it exactly five seconds after this. He looked completely, he had a beard suddenly. Oh my fucking god. So yeah, Austin Theory, folks, you may guess what he may struggle with, and that is notoriety. He just looks like everyone. Every like white guy who goes to university in middle England who's into football and drinking at the pub. So a really unique character there. Yeah, then, like, like we've all lived we with all someone, know someone like Austin like that. Theory. Yeah. Except I would probably be able to more correctly identify those guys, you know. <laughs> they tend to be a little they stand out a little bit more. Here's some highlights in this match. Zelina Vega's outfit was oh, was great. Her headpiece. Her headpiece was unbelievable. So good. Love a good headpiece. I like when headpieces have got some of the same attributes as the people wearing them. It was pointy and sharp, much like Zelina Vega herself. Mm. She had skulls on her shoulders. Zelina had, like, her top half was very much like, this is WrestleMania. The bottom half is like, well, the WrestleMania leggings didn't come through, so here are just my normal great leggings. (laughs) But, like, that was legitimately the highlight of this match. It was the thing that made me most happy, and the match was five or so minutes. It was not much going on. Street Profits are better than most in terms of, like, making a bit of energy, making, you know, filling in the gaps of the momentum. I mean, Garza is great. I love Garza as well. I mean, I have no problem with Austin Theory. It's just like, why have why even have this match? You know? Yeah, it was a bit of a yeah. I mean, it was fine. It was ugh, I have really like, nothing to say because like it was fine. It wasn't bad. It was just like any of the, any any of the matches we'd yeah. seen, other than there were more lasers than any of the Raws or Smackdowns you would have watched. Yeah, it's just regular empty arena wrestling. It's not something that you would actually be actively entertained by. No, bit of an odd moment at the end of this one. Where we had what was definitely going to be a WrestleMania moment and definitely going to be the big main roster debut of someone who we love a lot on this show, which is Bianca Belair, mm. who in the post-match when Zelina is beating down Montez and Angelo Dawkins, she's kicking them in their fucking faces, outruns Bianca Belair, who runs off the baddies and beats the shit out of Zelina Vega and then proceeds to pull the biggest I really am not comfortable with this face I have ever seen in wrestling. Yeah. I didn't need this at all. Rather me at home with my husband. I don't need this at all. It was palpable. You could cut it, Joe, with a knife. Yeah, she obviously did not want this to go down this way. And I don't blame her. Of course, 
you know, I feel Bianca Bella has not been given the opportunities she deserves. And I don't want to say, like, you know, she's been buried. She hasn't. She's oh. been given some opportunities. It's just, I feel... Look, we were talking two months ago about her being in the main event in exactly. this WrestleMania, you know, yeah. with, with Charlotte and Rhea. So. Yeah, I, I think we expected big, big things from her. And I think she obviously expected big things from her, too. And then to come out in a WrestleMania moment like this with no crowd is, is disappointing. Yeah. And you could tell. And you could tell it was disappointing because she looked yeah. disappointed. It's a shame because you've got the Street Profits who you wouldn't even know. Like, if you had the sound off, you wouldn't know there wasn't a crowd there. Yeah. They look exactly the same. Like, they're so enthusiastic. Full just of energy. So happy to be all. there. Yeah. Like, if anything, they're even more over the top than normal. They're, they're overcompensating. Yeah. Like Montez is Montez is someone who is thriving in this. Yeah. And I just kind of feel like, Montez, if you could take 1% of that enthusiasm and pop it over to Bianca because she just had her big debut and she's doing her slow turnaround going, <sighs> yeah, oh, I feel bad. We watched the Raws though, where she took on she took on Zelina, and they did a six person tag with Angel, Austin, and Zelina against Street Profits and and Bianca. And again, the 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 lack of joy was was a little bit palpable there from from Bianca. She'll be great with the Street Profits, you know. Yeah. You kind of think about when they split Enzo and Castaway for Carmella, and we were like, oh, that's actually probably going to work out for her in the long run. And lo and behold, it did. Yeah. Putting Bianca with the Street Profits, I think, is going to work out quite well for her as well. You I know? think so, because, you know, we've said this before about putting together people who actually get on well. And obviously, you know, she's married to Montez Ford. Yeah. Montez Ford's best friend is Angelo Dawkins. I loved when Bianca came in. My head Montez Ford, like, crawling on the floor, sliding around. But did you see the nod she did to Angelo? Yeah. It's kind of like, sup. <laughs> we're friends <laughs> and i love that like they obviously have great chemistry the three of them so yeah. putting them all together is fantastic i hope we do eventually get bianca on her own again oh yeah because i mean look here's the thing bianca being put into that group that one of two things is going to happen either the whole group turns heel yeah or bianca takes you know causes them to split up mm. and she goes on her own or bianca partners up with with montez but I think that there's definitely going to be a split or a heel turn of some sort down the line. That's why Paul Heyman operates. I do like the idea of like Montez Forge and you know, Bianca being healed together. But like she's the, the studs and he's the <laughs> kind of like, oh yeah, you know. I will say I'm actually recording all this podcast on the ground looking up looking <laughs> at, at Joe. You know, uh, it's great being under lockdown with someone you love. That's true. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's really nice. Yeah. I, I will say wrestlemania was a real hard time because in some respects because i'm used to this being like one of my most social weekends of the year and also one of my busiest weekends of the year and like i i'd missed my friends a lot but i was, yeah. really, I was really glad you and i got to watch it together still and it, it was it was unique and it was weird i have to point out one of the things about this is that you know a lot of folks we know usually go to wrestlemania and they're yeah they're, they're doing that and I thought you pointed out the tweets from Brian, Brian Zane, <laughs> our, our good buddy from Wrestling With Regret. You know someone's a solid friend when you've made them halloumi. Argued to have their meal returned and remade properly at Nando's. Hey, that's, that's who I am. But, <laughs> <laughs> but like, I, I love the point that he had said a tweet where it's like, well, usually I'm in Orlando because you know, he would do a lot of work over the weekend. Yeah, he said this was the first WrestleMania in six years where he'd not been there in person like at WrestleMania. And he said, you know, that was obviously sad for him, but it was, you know, the plus side of that was it meant it was the first WrestleMania that he got to watch with his kids, Yay! which is really Aww. nice because he's got you know young young kids, and I think yeah, that's a really nice moment for a person to share with their with their children if you're a wrestling fan. And then half an hour later, he had a picture of an empty sofa. It was like, yeah, the kids don't care about this. <laughs> we don't like Daddy's weird play. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, I, I will be interested. Let us know in the comments below, folks. Like 
how did your WrestleMania viewing go? Did you try and do some like Zoom or Skype hangouts? Did you watch it at all? Did you watch it like kind of at your own pace? Because there's a lot of people who were just like, ah, oh, watch it in the morning kind of, you know. Mm. A lot of people like I felt didn't feel the pressure of WrestleMania this year. I think maybe people will enjoy it more than they may have normally. Very intrigued to see how people will enjoy that. Like if it will be more or less enjoyable after the fact, because I feel watching this live was amazing. I'm so, yeah. so glad I got to watch this live. I feel so privileged. The two nights you enjoyed. I loved it. I had so much fun live tweeting with everyone. It was just great. I feel like I was here at an historic moment in wrestling's history. Yeah. Like, I really, really do feel that way. They did a good job of making you feel like, you know, when night one ended and night two started, like, the, the momentum felt like it continued. Yeah, I was really excited. It felt yeah. like... I don't know, it felt like I was going on holiday or something. It's just like, you know, it's because we're all in lockdown, so we're all, like, incredibly bored. But, like, I was just so excited for the next night at the end of night one, and I loved this. The whole two nights was just like, you know, even though not every match was perfect, not every match was great. And I will say night two was way worse than oh, night one. Oh, way worse than night one. But just on the whole, I really did enjoy it. I had a fun time. It's not often I come out of a WrestleMania being like, I'm really glad I stayed up and watched all that. Yeah. But I was genuinely so glad I stayed up for two nights and watched that. I yeah. really did have so much fun. The Street Profits, of course, retaining and Bianca's with them now. So coming up next, we had, I think the match I was most concerned about. I said to you, this was like throwing them to the wolves. It was the fatal five way for the SmackDown Live Women's Championship as Bailey defended against Tamina, Lacey Evans, her best pal, Sasha Banks, and Naomi. The story going to this one was that Paige gained the power to book wrestling matches via Skype and put a bunch of women in the match. Some of them contracted coronavirus or were quarantining, so the match just became these people instead. Yeah. They were heavily implying that Sasha was going to turn her back on, on Bailey during this one. Which I feel we've had so many times. Yeah. So, so many times we've had these, like, pairings of Sasha and Bailey, and then, like, they've been put in a match where it's like, I'll never turn on you, Bailey. I'll never turn on you, Sasha. We're best friends. Oh, but one of us will probably turn at some point in this match because it'll just be us two at the end. But and then... Bailey's a bad guy this time, so it makes it completely different. Okay. <laughs> but then, just like every other time they've done this, neither of them turned on the other one. So it's just. Ugh. It's the same story we've had. You know what? Around. I will say, <laughs> Night 2 had very few bright spots for me. I think most of the Night 2 really was... Uh, I, I think the Edge and Orton match really went a long way to souring everything around mm-hmm. it because one of the kind of the thing that everything else is kind of there just to prop it up when that sucks it feels like all the stuff that's just propping it up to there just to be there doesn't feel relevant really. Mm-hmm. But I thought Bailey did a really damn good job in this one. It was a longer match, I'm pretty sure, as well. Like The first like five or ten minutes of it, there wasn't much. Once the eliminations kind of went down the stretch and we, we got Tamina out of there, we came down to, to the four. I thought they did a good job at showing Bailey and Sasha working together as like a very conniving group in a way that I don't think really comes across when there are there's an audience there. Just because I could hear them, they're communicating, I thought, was really, really well. Mm-hmm. Anytime Bailey was in problems, she'd be like, Sasha, 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 yeah. you know, stuff like that. Or... When Naomi then got eliminated, when it came down to Lacey against Sasha and Bailey, and this straight away, the two were like, "Well, come on, mommy, come on, mommy, is your daughter watching?" Like, I thought they were for the first time since Bailey turned heel. I was like, "Okay, I kind of get it now." Yeah, these are like the two kids who've been like held back a year or two in school. <laughs> kind of feel they're a bit too good for it all, and they're all right, yeah, but. 
they're not that great and compared to the people who are running ahead of them they're actually quite far behind and they don't realize it they're like the two kind of loser bullies and i loved it i thought it really came across well i am gutted we didn't have a crowd here because i do love when bailey like makes lacey evans daughter cry I mean, Lacey usually makes her daughter cry when she forces her to black up for pageants, but like that's a different kind of tear. And WWE doesn't do blacking up anymore. Uh, uh, well, I mean, we haven't had a statement on that, which is it's been a long time since they've done it, and a little bit of a long time since they prominently featured it in a documentary talking about how much fun the era was. So you know, a real strong line on blacking up there from WWE yeah. as, as usual. So yeah, I thought the little finish that they did where Lacey was going to go and get Bailey, but Bailey, by dodging, she kind of like managed to turn Lacey and Lacey followed through and knocked out Sasha. Right. So then when Sasha was being pinned, you saw Bailey and she was just in the corner, like one, two, and she was like, oh yeah, okay. Oh no, you're getting that, love. Oh yeah, all right. That's <laughs> No, I'll make a cup of tea, he said, sitting up. So like the idea then was that Bailey was like, oh, okay, well, Sasha's going out, so I'm just going to sit back and let this happen. She didn't intentionally cause her friend to get knocked out, but she didn't help her friend at yeah. all. Which is then when Sasha came back afterwards to very explicitly help Bailey and you know, put the belt on her shoulder with a big smile, like the passive-aggressive type of a thing. I thought that was some like quite subtle and really good storytelling, particularly the fact that Bailey afterwards was like, Yeah, I'm the fucking best! Fuck you, JBL! I'm the fucking man! You know, I thought that was really cool, and I thought they told a really fun story, and it was a match that I was, and I swear to God, I was dreading it. Because mm. I thought it would be like, light offense, no noise, no reactions, tired commentator, and Bailey and Sasha, and Lacey, and everyone, and Naomi as well. They, everyone worked really hard. I thought Naomi looked incredible. Naomi always looks incredible at WrestleMania and, and most pay-per-views, to be honest. Like, she's got her afro again. She's got the fantastic... The gear she was wearing tonight was... She's got hypnosis boobs. <laughs> when, he, when, she, when she slides in the ring and there's no one there, you can hear that... <laughs> I, I love hearing that at all. Like. Her entrance was just amazing mm. with all those lasers and the neon. Yeah. Oh, so that's that's a WrestleMania moment yeah. for me. Now, now, honestly, this... If there was any match on the card which was like, no. Nah, like, if you told me before beforehand which ones do you think you'll enjoy which ones do you think will work with or without an audience the throwaway five way get as many women on the card who we haven't pushed in a year like when the fuck was the last time you saw Tamina yeah, you know, know yeah. fucking challenge for the women's championship that is the definition of a match that WWE don't care about and will refuse to give time or circumstance so that the performers involved would make it to be something that you cared about and lo and behold they managed to make you care about it. I thought this was a really good job. Yeah, you know? I, was, I was really happy with this match. It was a good, solid match with some great wrestling. We needed some good fundamentals because we were about to enter into the fucking Black Lodge of professional wrestling. So as John Cena left this plane of existence to join somewhere else entirely as he went deep into the dark recesses of the Firefly Funhouse to take on Bray Wyatt in a match that I could only describe as exhilarating, life-giving, I was one million percent in love with this match. We rewatched it this morning. Mm -hmm. You know, like without the benefit of the, the the thing about this that was the most exciting was just what was going to happen next. You never knew what was going to happen, where they were going to be, what was going to turn up, and they made me a fan so many times in this. I felt it was nostalgia and craziness and creativity. Like, it was stuff we'd seen before, obviously, because it was playing off of nostalgia, but it was done in a way we had never seen before. I thought it was an absolute masterpiece. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I thought it was... Any little reservations I had about the Boneyard match, now, this this was, for me, this was, was glorious. This, this 
saved WrestleMania. You know, this made it WrestleMania as far mm-hmm. as I'm concerned. It made it a memorable night of wrestling that I will never forget as long as I live because I got to see the Firefly Funhouse. And Joe, I can't begin to tell you how happy I was that the Firefly Funhouse match managed to contain so many things that we had covered and done. You know, this match was very much like the Twin Peaks of wrestling that you can discuss its meaning and the ultimate intent of the auteur Bray Wyatt in its creation that a lot of it you could follow along and there were a lot of big hints and clues along the way. There were a lot of themes that were studied and done so beautifully. I fucking love this thing. It was it, so great. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> should, should we start by, by talking about like what happened? So first of all, Gronk is gone. Titus O'Neil has replaced him as the host of WrestleMania. Finally. <laughs> we haven't really been explained why this is, but I'm guessing it's to do with him being beaten up by Mojo. I was going to assume it's football, football. Ca- canon and, you know, <laughs> you know, pedigree and all that. Prior engagement, gotta go, bye! Yeah. Well, I think it was because Gronk had lost the 24-7 title to Mojo and then he'd won it back and they had all the they had all the performance center grunts run out as well to have a big a big moment so I think that was to write Gronk and Mojo out of Wrestlemania right but we were both hoping this was going to be something really cinematic like the Boneyard match and it started us off in the performance center and I think we were both kind of dreading the idea of a Firefly Funhouse in the performance center yeah I was I thought it was going to be a case of false advertising which in fairness the WrestleMania had given us already quite a few moments that were like that, where they had told you one thing was going to happen and something else entirely was going to happen. If John Cena faced someone else entirely right now, with you know, that, I assume that would have been special circumstances as well. Yeah. So we start off in the Performance Center and we have John Cena making his entrance. John Cena's entrance without a crowd is very, very, very strange because we're so used to hearing, you know, just some sort of audience reaction to it, either you know, booing or cheering or just screaming of some kind, having it be silent, very, very odd. I think if you're going to have anyone come out and shrug and be like, where's the audience? The guy usually does a little chat into the camera. I mean, it was good that John was the one who got to do it. It was a bit weird that no one on the first night and four-fifths decided to draw attention to the fact that there was no one there. <laughs> yeah, no, only John Cena realised that. We have John Cena saying, welcome to WrestleMania. And then it goes all distorted and glitchy and we see a bunch of clips of vince age like 30 and doing... me and gene oakland was in there as yeah. well lots of classic wrestlemania little clippets yeah lots of clips of like people saying welcome to wrestlemania from like years gone by cut to the firefly funhouse bray's in the firefly funhouse and he's talking about how it's time john and then he goes through this special door that says Beware all ye who exit here. Abandon all hope ye who exit here, I think it was. Now John is in the Firefly realm and he's a bit confused and he's looking around and then Ramblin' Rabbit's there and he's like, hey John, be careful because through that door is stuff. And then... (laughs) I thought, you know, the the puppets would feature more. more. I thought John was going to interact with the puppets or that the puppets were going to be grown up into big meaty muscle men Monsters, and puppet yeah. masks and he'd have to fight them maybe no instead john cena follows through the door he follows bray and he's in the void and he's in this like just this black abyss of the void and then out of nowhere pops up vince mcmahon the puppet and this is like the first of many bits where they're like making reference to stuff from john's past right so the vince mcmahon puppet starts talking about like who's got enough ruthless aggression to like to to dominate this industry and who's who's going to show ruthless aggression And this was a promo that vince did 
to the audience in like 2002 after they had to shake it up the roster a lot and a lot of people like Stone Cold had left and The Rock had left they cancelled the NWO angle so they had this kind of like reset essentially and Vince came out with all these wrestlers and he was like who's going to step up and be the next top guy but he apparently did that backstage as well to the wrestlers saying look we've lost a lot of top stars who's going to step up and be the top guy the, the phrase ruthless aggression which has been used to describe the 2002 to whenever it suits whoever's talking about it period of time was based around Vince using that phrase ruthless aggression and apparently John Cena went up to Vince after said meeting not the one on camera the one backstage and he went up to him and he said I'm your guy I'll do it I'll literally do whatever it takes wow. I, I, I'll be the most reliable person that you have in this position if you put your trust to me you will not be let down and that's when they decided to kind of to go with him and all that I think from there didn't we have then like Bray started Kurt Angle's promo yeah so like John Cena's first match was again from a week or two around this time where the ruthless aggression was the the kind of the, the buzzword or the buzz phrase and Kurt cuts a promo he's doing his open invitational anyone can come out and wrestle Kurt Angle what makes you think, jobber John Cena, that you can beat me? And John goes, ruthless aggression! And he punches him out. Now, you had Bray, like, cutting in the promo of Kurt Angle and then him actually speaking over it at the same time. And that was, like, the coolest part about this whole cinematic wrestling match is that the editing was so good mm. and i didn't expect that to be the case from the wwe creative team like i don't really think of like you know really great edits as being like part of the raw and smackdown brand i don't know i think for promo packages they they fucking own yeah, I, I think they you know they can make the most ped- i think we take it for granted yeah. i think we we have like always got two or three excellent epic ones which because we see them all the time they don't mean as much or because they're recapping stuff or angles that you don't care about as yeah. much but this like where they just di- dip their hand way into the past and like they embellished Bray's performance but like the fact that you got these cuts between Kurt and Bray and the eyes were the same like you know, the cadence the promo was yeah. so fucking good John coming out and then raiding the old set and getting the big Smackdown fist. Yes, so you know, good. Seeing John Cena in the old jobber gear. Yeah, he looks like such a jobber. But like, also pretty amazing that like he looks almost exactly the same. Like, obviously his hair is different. Oh, he's in much better shape. He's much better shape. He's, he's got much, much more, more pecs. Like, yeah. yeah. So, and then, and then the thing where like John tries to do like, ruthless aggression. He keeps trying to punch Bray. And, and it seems like that's all he can say. Yeah. So why is, is that just like kind of this idea of like it being like a nightmare? He's like reliving that same moment over and over again. I think they're basically pointing at, again, this is not wrestling match analysis. This is like listening to two fucking people talk about a Twin Peaks episode. Yeah, this, exactly. These are our theories, how it related to us and how, how we absorb the art. Yeah? yeah. And how you should as well, because there's only one right answer when discussing art, right? <laughs> <laughs> Look, Laura Palmer is the fire, yeah? Right, but what it was, I think, in my opinion was that they're trying to kind of put across that John Cena came in with a lot of fire right. and a lot of like push and pomp and circumstance. But Bray is saying here, well, what was the actual pomp and circumstance? It was nothing. It was just ruthless aggression. This was just a guy who got tacked with this brand guideline and goal that he fit the role at the moment and the role was just a guy who could be this. Right. So they're basically saying there was nothing to John Cena at this point in time. I'm just saying that John Cena was just a buzzword. He was ruthless aggression. Okay. He happened to be a faceless slab of meat that fit this maniacal boss's whim of the day. And that's what I felt that he was trying to say. And right. if John tries to do anything more than be just this little puppet on a string for Vince McMahon, 
he falls up massively short. Hence why he can't lay a hand on someone like Bray Wyatt, a true artist, a true performer <laughs> who understands wrestling and is in it for himself. And then we have Bray talk about how John almost got fired and how this is supposedly like the worst moment in his career, which went over my head a bit. What, what's the worst moment in his career there? I mean, John, around the time, I know that he he was one of the people who was close to being cut because right. he was you know, you know an OVW guy who had a good look and a good body, but like not much going for him. So like, you know, this is back in the day or I think we've told you before, like, you know, WWE would do spring cleaning and you have your releases of anywhere between five and 25 wrestlers at a given time so john cena's name definitely would have been one of those names back in the day that would have been floating around the red zone of like well who can we cut Mm. let's save 50 grand let's fire john cena you know (laughs) right got it and then things start to get a bit weird we have bray wyatt finally (laughs) we have bray singing nikki's theme you can look but you can't touch and that's making reference to nikki bella a future hall of famer former divas champion who was briefly engaged to john cena (laughs) you could say who was brie bella all along (laughs) (laughs) and then we get macho mercy and mr mcboss man on commentary and it's totally in the style of old NWA. Oh no, this was this was Saturday night's main event. Oh right, okay. So Vince used to have pay-per-view back in the day with WrestleMania and all that, but one of the biggest things that they had was that NBC would show Saturday night's main event. So on Saturday night prime time we'd have a big show, and this is when like you'd have some of the big angles, like Hogan would face Andre or Jake Roberts, you know, would face Macho Man. You know, we would we would not on a normal wrestling show like superstars you'd have them beating jobbers and doing promos here's where the angles would actually happen you okay know? so saturday night's main event was the precursor to monday night raw in many senses the precursor to pay-per-view in some respects in that it was a much more frequent big hyped up show that they would build towards and yeah they had the old that's the old saturday night's main event banner they had in the background so cool the music obsession that was the old theme that they had for the wow. Saturday Night's Main event so they would have to put their hands in their pockets to get the, the, the royalties for that one and like, the fact that they like they even went hard with like camera filters and stuff yeah. they like they made it look old fashioned and stuff like they didn't just half heart it and they were like oh yeah we can kind of do whatever and fans will eat this shit up like they really they made tried. it artistic yeah. and like they you can tell Bray Wyatt has had a lot of involvement here it's like this is a, something made by a big wrestling fan yeah now bray had pretty much full creative control with this i know this had to be shown to vince mcmahon for approval and he, he approved it all including he apparently laughed big time at the that's good shit line <laughs> uh, which, which i was really happy with the you other know, vince and finally acknowledges that everyone knows everything about his weird fucking you know vernacular and how he carries himself <laughs> but like you've got besides the performance center you've got in stanford connecticut you've got a big warehouse that is full of all this treasure you know, when they bought WCW for a million dollars back in the day, they got all the ring mats, they got all the banners, they got all of the the scaffolding for the Nitro set. Wow. They own all the ECW backdrops. You know, they own it all. God, there's and so many things they could do. They used to do a series I loved, and they stopped doing it, but they would just have, like, Scott Stanford pop in. It's like, oh, I'm in the WWE warehouse with the WWE archivologist. What are you going to show me this week? He's like, well, this is the fist from the SmackDown set we used for four years. And now it just sits here. <laughs> All right, catch us next time. You know, wow. it's just like this big fucking like it's it's like <laughs> it's like Citizen Kane. You see, like all of the treasures he's collected from all over the world. I've gotten every trinket from every corner of the sports entertainment professional wrestling landscape, and I still am happy deep inside. It, like use it, and he finally got to. You know, yeah. maybe one of these things was Rosebud. Who knows? But <laughs> seeing Bray Wyatt 
you know, being the muscle man, talking about what was his name he had for John Cena? Johnny Largemeat. Johnny Largemeat. And this is just two guys who are growing up in 80s wrestling, having fun. That's the thing. And you could tell they were having so much fun. Like, yeah. obviously, Bray would love to do this because he's so creative. He's always tried to be unique and innovative with his, like, gimmicks and his character creation. And he would and, have grown up with, like, the Road Warriors, yeah. the shouty promos, the you know that. And But you've also got John Cena, who is obviously, like, he is such an interesting wrestling fan. Like, and you can tell from looking at his Instagram that he, like... He's so much more of a fan than I think people give him credit yeah, for a lot of the time. And he gets it. And just to see him have so much fun with this whole video and this whole match is just so great to see. So much fucking gold in this. Yeah. This is like someone found like Hogan's old promo book with all the lines he didn't use. You're going to be paying for the whole scene on Sunday, but you're only going to be using the edge of it. Like fucking hell. Like, <laughs> talking about, you know, when the rubber hits the road, the cream will rise to the top, brother. He's working out with his arms the whole time. And again, if we're to pull back some of the layers of what we thought it meant, because you were quite confused when John then tried to attack Bray. So yeah, Bray's getting John to do like loads of arm weight lifting and he's just going ham with it. And then his arms are completely dead and Vince is like, keep your arms up, hit him. And he just can't move his arms. And I think like, well, that's meant to show. You had like Bray saying like, what are you going to do when you realize that egomania has ruined you? And I think what they're trying to show with that, I think... With particularly with the Vince McMahon puppet being there as well, and Mercy the Buzzard being like, is meant to be Macho Man and whatnot, and they're obviously meant to be doing a bit of a Hogan business here. They need to make a show that if you are going to play to Vince McMahon's whims solely, that you will be ultimately powerless. Because John Cena, he's meant to be here, Vince McMahon's ideal, because Vince is going, oh, this is good shit. Big muscle man, yeah. talking shit, doing the old-timey promos, getting big, full of charisma, big muscle man. But when it comes to actually fight and stand up for himself and do something, his arms are all flaccid because he spent all of his time working, working out. out and he's too sore. And like Bray's basically, I think, trying to show there that if you spend your life trying to be in this man's pocket and do things his way exactly, you're ultimately doomed. And even though people like myself who've butted heads with Vince and had their careers and their opportunities taken away by not having the body or the look... We have the ultimate moral high ground or victory in this case. So I think that's what they were trying to go with here. It was weird as hell. It was weird as hell. And I, I'm just trying to kind of like, this is how I like watched it and I experienced it and what I reckon to it. I don't know, it could just be that John had sore arms. <laughs> but it's interesting that you say that because like going for the whole, like making fun of his like physicality and the fact that, you know, if John Cena was a character in a video game, all his stats would be in his physique rather than like, you know, his actual wrestling ability or yeah. whatever. And then we move on to the Thugonomics section of this match. Oh, I love this part. So, so strange. So you say Thugonomics, we're referring to John Cena's old gimmick. Yeah, where he's a rapper. Yep. And a crude rapper as well. Now we did yeah. this. John Cena is one of the first episodes we did, and I think even back then you were somewhat shocked to find out like how crude. Oh, so tasteless. He was like so tasteless. Yeah, Big Show ain't nothing you can do. Go and stick, because I'm going to bend you down and make you suck, man. And then he'll drop the microphone. What could he have said? Yeah. What could he have said? It's a PG show. <laughs> Bray Wyatt must have like put John under some kind of curse or something because John can now, he's in the Thugonomics gimmick. He can only speak in rap. 
this song. I love how it's just like really tasteless rap lines and you've got Bray standing in the corner like looking really unimpressed really unimpressed and they have like crickets over some of the really bad rap lines like I think there's one point where John Cena's like you're just a slut Bray every time you get given an opportunity you blow it and it's just crickets and of course you've got no audience there no crowd so it's like just silence and then Bray turns to him and he says you know this is a quote I hate about you is that you take people's weaknesses and you turn them into jokes and you're a bully John Cena and you're not a nice person and like the kudos to John by the way folks because John Cena here is a, is a lump of clay and then he's like letting them do like do whatever you want to yeah. do here obviously because we're doing some weird shit here yeah. but when Bray said that to him and John sold it like mm. fuck yeah. like have you ever seen anyone be told that they're a bully and realise it or see someone realise that they're in the wrong yeah. and it's like no, you're the one who's been doing that thing. And they and sort of sit, their eyes go wide and quiet. Like, you know, I was a teacher, so, like, I saw a lot of times kids <laughs> not realizing the hurt that they caused. And there's one or two occasions where I was like, you know, you, you do that thing where, like, you basically don't even have to say anything and you let them figure it out for themselves. Yeah. You just kind of lay it up there and go, I'm just going to wait a second now. And then they go, oh, shit, I shouldn't have done that, should I? No, I need to apologize, don't I? Yes, you do. And like John Cena realizing that he's a bully. Yeah. And like, you know, the amount of times where he like did promos where he's like, Vicky Guerrero, you're fat. Like, oh, you know, God, the yeah. amount of times where he's like, Seamus, you've got pasty white skin. Like, you know, not all insults are created equally, I guess. But John Cena had punched down for the majority of his yeah, career. Absolutely. Using Bray, who's got the kitty exterior here. And the kid, like, when it's like, John, you make fun of people and you bully them and you have the kids going, no. <laughs> it's like oh god and john's like shit what have i become and it's the, yeah the fact that you've got like this such a cringy gimmick with these tasteless lines that would seem you know dated in 2004 and you've got bray looking so cool in the corner and mm. so unimpressed and again and like john coming out with all these like just pathetic insults and then bray's like promo that he cuts which is so wrestling yeah but it's set to music so it's like sad and full of emotion and he's like yeah you are you're a bully john that's all you are and bray does manage to get a quite a fine line between him being like oh poor me i've had all my opportunities taken away guys Mm. but also the genuine rage yeah you don't feel too sorry for bray because you kind of feel like now you've had plenty of opportunities, yeah. motherfucker. <laughs> but also, you do kind of feel his—you feel he's justified, and that's yeah. always that great golden heel heat. When the, the heel is, you feel like you don't agree with them, but you can't see. Oh, I see why you, you see that though. Yeah. Big I understand, and I love again. This is a uh, this is great, and it's like Twin Peaks. The more you discuss it, the more you figure shit out. Yeah. But what? What well, those lines there, which made Bray, you know, not impressed, didn't impress you, didn't impress me. I can think of one person we've talked about in the last few minutes who those lines would have made go ah. <laughs> did you guys see where he rhymed nuts with nuts and then he took out the little bag of nuts and he threw it and it hit him in the nuts oh that's good shit man again it's like if you're trying to speak to these people and then you fucking do this to try and you know appease this whim how can you be anything other than a bully john cena when your biggest fan is vince mcmahon yeah. how can you be more than the biggest bully in the world when your whole career and your entire persona has been manufactured by a deeply fucked up hateful individual in vince mcmahon that's what <laughs> i felt like it was here because all john could do then was that it's like john even after john has that moment where you think he realizes oh i've, I've 
I'm a, I'm a piece of shit. He still can only... He, yeah. He's still the Thogonomics gimmick. He's still John Cena Thogonomics. So he has the nuts. He sh- tells a shitty rap. He throws it in Bray's face. And what, what and all else fails, what can John do? Well, he can go, he can swing, can't yeah. he? He tries to attack Bray and he disappears. We cut back to Bray in his compound then, but this is Bray Wyatt that we would have known from back in the day when you first started watching wrestling. Yeah. Uh, this is Broken Out Love, Bray Wyatt. Yeah. You know, I didn't even realize how different he plays the character now because the little southern drawl came back yes yeah that. i noticed that yeah yeah he's got the hat on he's got the uh the, the floral shirt and this is like one of the most straight bits of a uh, chat that bray wyatt has ever given in wrestling did you know what he was doing here the purpose of his little speech what he was trying to explain what had happened and all that not entirely i don't think so he talked about how obviously he in his old gimmick of the the cult leader bray wyatt he went against John Cena in a match and there seemed to be a moment where John picked up a chair and there was like a ooh will John turn heel and will he use mm. the chair on Bray Wyatt or will he not and then he didn't and he missed his opportunity and I think Bray defeated him right so the Bray lost to John oh Bray what lost to John okay that was in the WrestleMania before he started watching I believe right yeah so yeah this was like one of those real heartbreaking things where like Bray had just come from NXT he was being built up and built up and built up then he was like his big match was going to be at WrestleMania with John Cena he had all the momentum in the world and then John beat him wow the way Bray tells the promo it's so good because he's like Abigail told me for like years about this day that this was like my special day it was the prophecy I was going to become a god I was going to be John Cena at Wrestlemania and like this is like only the second viewing I figured this bit out but when he said you're meant to be a man of the people John so why wouldn't you listen to the people? And they cut back to in that match that was during when Bray used to sing. I don't know if you remember when Bray sing. Yeah, we've got the whole world, the whole world in, his hands, yeah. in his hands. Now there's nothing quite like the sight of sixty thousand people all singing. He's got the whole world in his hands, and that's what they were doing in that match. Yeah. And Bray was basically saying, "John, you fucker, you're meant to be the people's champion, the guy who all the people love, and the guy who respects the people and the fans ultimately." And here they are singing for me. They love me. Yeah. Let me win. Why wouldn't you let me become a star? Like, why wouldn't you let me fulfill my destiny? And instead, you just beat me. You know, you could have, or you could have, like, I let you kill me if you wanted to. I, I put you down on my hands and knees and I said, end it. And you still wouldn't do that. You just had to beat me and embarrass me and humiliate me. And I, oh, it's so good. <laughs> because real life Bray Wyatt, that obviously sticks in his craw. Oh, yeah. And kudos to anyone who can make me kind of go, oh, yeah, that match six years ago at WrestleMania, that meant a lot. Yeah. <laughs> John Cena. <laughs> I know, right? You've lost to John like a 900 yeah. times. Thank you, Bray, for managing to make us think that one really stung. You know? <laughs> so that was kind of thing what he was trying to say there, was that like I, I, I was on the cusp of becoming something so much more than you but you took it away from me right and like now i can't be me anymore you've you've messed up my timeline like that's why i'm the fiend that's why i'm this and i i like that we just got to see like that real bray still exists somewhere in his mind on a rocking chair yeah. just pissed off about a match six years ago WrestleMania. <laughs> i fucking love that show yeah that's great so he says he's gonna retcon wrestlemania 30 and then John collapses in the corner. That's how the match should have went. He just, just collapsed. Yeah. <laughs> if a wrestler just collapses in a match, that's the most worrying thing that can happen. <laughs> Bray picks up John and starts waltzing with him around the ring, which is so creepy. I love it. That's what he used to do like in NXT when he squashed people. Oh, really? He'd smash him and then he'd grab him and he'd be like, no, man, it's okay, man. And he'd dance around wow. with him, give him a little kiss and then oh. he'd do Sister Abigail. You know? 
So they knew he was playing homage to every aspect of his career here. Right, yeah. And then he magics a chair out from somewhere and he hands it to John. He's like, it's not enough to finish it, John, is it? But this is. John goes to attack Bray with the chair, but then Bray vanishes. I hate when that happens. And then things get even weirder. And this is when we move into the WCW era of wrestling, I guess. And I'm very glad that we decided, and I'll tell you right now, inexplicably to do the Eric Bischoff episode I know. when we did. I, you know what? I was just feeling it, you know? <laughs> my, my main thing here is I'm desperate to find out. Anyone who doesn't really watch wrestling, doesn't know about its history, doesn't know about Eric Bischoff, please tell me what you thought about this moment and this match. Like, Fever dream. How on earth? Like, did it make sense? Because I was so, so thankful that we had done our episode on Eric Bischoff because immediately... I mean, they're very careful i think in this match to show you footage while they're referencing things mm. so you can see what they're going for what yeah. they're going for so even if you didn't know who eric bischoff was you'd be like okay bray was obviously impersonating this cheesy guy in the leather jacket i see what they're going for here but yeah bray comes out he's eric bischoff you brought out john cena do you know what he was doing or what what the clip was referencing i think i didn't get it at first and then on second watch through it made more sense mm. so John comes out dressed in like the NWO colours, so he's yeah. all in black and white and stuff. He's got the NWO t-shirt. He's playing the belt like a guitar. Do you remember who used to do that? Hulk Hogan. He did, yeah. So I think he's referencing the time when Hulk Hogan turned heel in WCW mm. after he became like Hollywood Hogan. Yeah. And I think... So this is what I didn't get the first time I watched it. I was like, I don't understand why then John starts beating up Bray Wyatt. I don't know if that was supposed to be like... Because I asked you, I was like, did it a Hulk Hogan ever beat up Eric Bischoff? And you're like, no, I don't think that's what they're implying here. And then it kind of like, after a bit of a while, I was like, oh, okay, I see what they're getting at then. What they're getting at is that John Cena is the equivalent to Hulk Hogan in mm. that he's the number one baby face for like two decades. Yeah. And everyone was expecting john to turn heel yes we talked about in the scene episode about how there was yeah like a, a real difficulty at the maybe second act of his career where people were just kind of i think almost you're tuned to a point when you're a wrestling fan that when you start to get bored of a face that they they will know that ahead of you and they'll turn him or her heel yeah you know or vice versa i guess and i think very much lots of people expected him to be on the same trajectory as hulk hogan and that he was you know face of the company absolute number one baby face top guy like superstar and then everyone got a bit bored of him and it yeah. got a bit stale but john never turned heel ever ever like literally john has not been heel since like that Unlike Hulk Hogan, who's kind of gone heel and face and a bit of heel and face yeah, here yeah, and yeah. there. It's, yeah, John's just always been face John Cena. So, like, do you think you could pull from it what they were trying to say? or what? I guess when we say they are trying to say, the, the most important thing about this match is that this is Bray's narrative. We're yeah. not saying it's like WWE's narrative or even the correct narrative. This is like a heel, psychotic character's narrative or how they understand it because you notice what they did when Cena came out and, uh, by the way bonus points for the fucking NWO tea towel that he pulled oh, out oh that was so good <laughs> that, that, that's where I'm like John's a fan yeah, yeah if you ever need an excuse to, that's, that's like two fucking wrestling fans having the best yeah. fucking goddamn time right there <laughs> You swear, I swear, like, not too far from what I would have been doing with my friends when I was a kid. Like, yeah. you be Eric Bishop, you know, I'll be Vince McMahon, you be The Undertaker. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but, like, I, I loved how when they were having their discussion, I don't know if you saw, like, they showed loads of clips of, like, 
this show scene at One Night Stand, a match that you're very fond yeah, of. Yeah, they showed all these clips of like John's various like moments throughout his career, and there was like the moment at ECW One Night Stand where you know the fans have a sign that's like if Cena wins we riot they had uh, Wrestlemania like 22 and 23 when he was against Shawn Michaels and also Triple H where he was meant to be the good guy he got booed right they showed him losing the belt to CM Punk when CM Punk ran away with the championship which I thought was interesting that you know they showed kind of a CM Punk, a CM Punk yeah. clip like that and then they also showed Cena raising Roman's arm after Roman beat him and he pointed at him and like I thought at the start that it was just meant to be here are times where the fans didn't like John Cena. But then I also thought, is it meant to be these are John Cena's failures? Like th- this is this is the result of John Cena being John Cena. Mm. Arenas full of people who hate him. You know, people like CM Punk who'd rather take the belt and leave the company than hang around with people like him. You know, can't even pass the torch to Roman Reigns. Ooh. You know, pointing up the arm, pointing him, booing him instead. Is that what you're saying? You know, like, that's what I thought that he was trying to say here is that, look, John, you being a good guy, this is what we got from it. Fucking arenas doing shit they're not meant to do. Next generation getting fucked over. Wrestlers resenting you because of the way you conduct yourself. Just turn heel. Go Hollywood like Hogan did. Then he takes <laughs> Eric Brayshoff to the ground. <laughs> starts wailing away on him. Punching, punching, punching. Pure fucking heel fire. And then it cuts down and you know it's no longer Bray. It's Huskus the Pig. who's like, please stop killing me. Which was like, legitimately made me upset. Yes. And then John's like looking at his hands like, what the fuck? And here's the thing I thought he was trying to say. is like, you want John Cena to be a bad guy? He's already a bad guy. If you made John Cena in wrestling a wrestling bad guy as well, you wouldn't want that because he's a fucking horrible person. He'd be beating the shit out of people like Huskus the Pig. He's already evil. He already is a failure. He already is wrong for wrestling. If you wanted him to turn heel, it would have just been like, basically saying, if you made this motherfucker a heel, it would have been the worst. It would have been worse than Hogan. <laughs> it's kind of what I'm, I'm thinking he was trying to say there. Okay, that's really interesting. Because when Hogan became heel, like the ego with Hogan did get out of control yeah. as well. I think he's trying to say, like, if John Cena turned heel, it would have been worse than the NWO running Nitro. Because they use the NWO Nitro stuff. Like, uh, this, this fucking self-indulgent... Like, this isn't for the fans, it's for ourselves. This bullshit. See, I was wondering if maybe they were trying to go for, like... like the fact that he turns into Huskus the Pig, and, like, John's, like, looking at his hands, like, what have I done? I was wondering if that was, like, maybe making, like, a reference to the fact that, obviously, John is very family-friendly, his fans are kids. Yeah. And that him turning heel would kind of, like, ruin a lot of the childhoods, I think, of the kids who That's support true. him. And they it's want kind to of see like, him beating up people. Like, yeah, it's, yeah, and I think it would be quite jarring and monstrous to see, you know, everyone's favourite hero, John Cena, you know, make-a-wish champion suddenly like be an absolute nasty heel it's also worth pointing out as well as we go further down the rabbit hole here that huskus the pig is meant to be an analogy for bray himself yeah bray's kind of inner turmoil with his body image husky harris was the original character that they gave him and john cena references that in his thugonomics rap where he like makes a jab at bray's weight now you know it's bad that when your first name is something that vince mcmahon grabbed out of the thesaurus looking up fat you know that's literally what the word husky means it's it's one of those words that grandparents use to try and be less mean when they're calling you fat at dinner Mm. in front of everyone thanks granny Uh, (laughs) but i kind of feel like 
another thing Bray was trying to say here is that like John Cena is already a heel because he would beat up on people like me and like I'm just I'm just Bray I'm just trying to get by in this world and how was I ever ever even able to have a career when John Cena was constantly wailing on me and beating the shit out of me and all my friends which is kind of what John did from a certain point yeah. of view and like it's interesting you say that as well because like visually like the dynamic of those two is very much like Huskus the pig and John Cena like they are on such different levels like Bray was obviously pushed sometimes but he was never on the same level he's never superstar like John Cena John Cena is like this larger than life superhero character and Bray's this like silly gimmick character it's kind of like it is it's weird to then have John like kind of beat the shit out of someone like Bray because it's like well why what do you get out of this well we all should know the first rule of the Firefly Funhouse is don't touch the puppets because I always wondered this would happen Huskus gets the shit knocked out of him and then the fiend appears pretty much immediately yeah he like appears from behind John's head like so he, scary. the puppets are like oh he's not gonna like that yeah like, oh no 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 I think they literally say that oh <laughs> and then great fucking camera work here he appears over John's shoulder yep. straight out of a horror movie we switch to another Instagram filter to make it a little bit more grainy. Yeah. John gets laid out with the mandible claw, Sister Abigail, as Bray Wyatt becomes the first person to count his own shoulders to the mat <laughs> and be a different person because time is broken. John Cena is pinned after the mandible claw, one, two, three. He loses the Firefly Funhouse match. And you love the fact that Bray plays the referee yeah. as well. <laughs> Laughing as he's yeah. doing it. Yeah, so he gets to three count. John Cena disappears and is trapped in the Firefly Funhouse. In 25 years' time, he will return to fight Bray Wyatt. But it won't be the John Cena that you know. We'll have to all rally behind him, you know? <laughs> He'll be all slow and weird. And then, until he finally clicks, he turns around and goes, I am the FBI! <laughs> the champ is here! So... That was probably my favourite thing in wrestling I've seen in years. Yeah, I think it's the best thing I've ever seen in wrestling. Maybe the best thing I've ever seen ever. I love it. I loved it. I loved it. I love the fact that at the end they cut to title. Like, that's the thing as well. I'm really glad they didn't have Gronk because Gronk would have ruined that ending. But they cut to Titus at the end who looks into the camera and is just like, Hi. (laughs) I don't know what I just saw. Yeah, I kind of do still feel Titus. The reason he was out there is that Vince McMahon was hoping that he would do the greatest Royal Rumble spot again. Like, you yeah. know, come on, Titus. I've had to furlough the XFL mothball half of WrestleMania week. Why don't you run down the ramp and hit your head off the apron there? Come on. <laughs> yeah, that's good shit. Come on. Yeah. So, yeah, that was that was a wild. It was incredible. Go out of your way to see it. Oh. And reports, please, if you have watched it, what you thought of it, what your non-wrestling or laps dressing fan friends thought of it as well we'd like a full report yes please everything generally speaking it seems that this went down very very well but joe wrestlemania is a long affair and we can't end it after that why not it's serious i'm so ready there to be like right done this review is over there weren't any other matches that joe come on great way to finish wrestlemania perfect we've got business to take care of we've got the main event the wwe championship is on the line the winner of the 2020 royal rumble drew mcintyre going up against the reigning defending conquering beast Brock Lesnar, the WWE Championship is on the line. Brock did three F5s and then Drew did four Claymore kicks and he won the belt. That was that match. And yep. if they went with this, I think you're probably going to hear a thousand wrestling fans and reviewers and journalists say that it should have been in front of a crowd. It should have been in front of a crowd. Yeah. Because Brock Lesnar was on rare 
I'm doing a job for him tonight. Probably because there was no crowd. <laughs> I mean, it was exactly as it needed to be. It could only be so much of what it could have been with no audience. Mm. I will say, probably one of the most powerful moments of WrestleMania weekend was when Drew won the belt and then he actually looked into the audience, he looked into the camera and he put his hand out. Yeah. And I thought, you know what, if Drew McIntyre is going to be the champion of the people when we can't be there, I want Drew to turn into the camera and go, three, two, one. Yeah. You, you do it with me at home. That'd be great. And you know, can you imagine the pop it would get when he does it in front of a crowd then? Yeah. Afterwards. I think he had a big pop here at How To HQ, yeah. let me tell you. <laughs> like, there was a few moments, like, where he, like, he won the belt and he, he said, like, you're all here with me. And, like, we're obviously not there with them, but I just think... If there is a wrestler, if we're only going to let one person literally reach out into telescope and say, hey, I'm here for you. This is weird. Let's do it together. I think Drew McIntyre, he's a grand young man and he, <laughs> he cleans up nice and I'm happy for him. I'm really sad for him. Mm. Probably won't be watching his WWE documentary as well because I think that I don't feel as bad for him as I did for Edge. Because it's not nine years. You know, the match is only two minutes as opposed to nine years. Sorry, I made that joke already. But <laughs> the match really was bad, in my opinion. <laughs> yes, uh, I think we gathered that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel bad for them both in different ways. It's just, yeah, it's it's unfortunate. But what he, can he do? He carried himself well. Yeah. And honestly, I love Drew. I think, I, I think Drew and Edge both came out of this WrestleMania looking great, even if their matches weren't as good as we'd hoped this was like 90 seconds so you know that was that was a lot more you know th- this was the match i was in many respects i was least concerned about because i mean it was going to be what it was going to be right like they were going to do a couple of finishers and then a couple more finishers and that was that i was convinced that brock was going to win i thought that they would do some sort of like uh you know smash through the set type of a thing you know they they brought the ramp they smashed through the wrestlemania signs like shit crazy god you know, they've broken the performance center. Maybe we'll come back in three months and do it in front of a crowd. Mm-hmm. But Drew McIntyre's a total... Like, whatever happened, it would have been because of Drew. Right. And I thought, you know, knock down the barricade, go through the arena floor, so, you know, break the ring, something like that, where it's like, the match has to end. Whoa, this is crazy. But we can't take anything away from Drew. We didn't do that. They are going, assuming that this is business as usual. Drew McIntyre is your champion. All right. WrestleMania was goddamn weird. I have not hated wrestling as much as i have hated it while watching these shows and i have not loved wrestling as much as i have loved it while watching these shows and it says a lot that my most hated and most loved moments came on the night that i thought was by far the worst which was (laughs) night two yeah night one as good as you can do with the asterisk of pandemic Mm. i don't think you can present a wrestling show purporting to be important like WrestleMania, and have it go better than Night One did. No, I, I agree. I think that's best case scenario. I think if they had hindsight, they'd go back and they make twice as many cinematic matches. <sighs> it's going to be really interesting going forwards if they do. I, I do wonder We're how... cinematic money in the bank ladder match, are we? I don't know, maybe. Said it in an actual bank. <laughs> I, I do think that this does call for a slightly more urgent episode on how to Lucha Underground. Oh yeah, because Lucha Underground is filmed entirely cinematic. So if yeah, you liked the Bone House match, 
<laughs> the fire bone house. Fire bone house. You heard it Match. here first. <laughs> if you like the two cinematic matches, you will love Lucha Underground because it's very, very similar. It's, I'd say that's possibly even better done because it's like this, they've been planning that for yeah. seasons and they, they, they deliberately do it in that style. I think TV shows are, are going to have an advantage, particularly shorter ones. Yeah. Than, than WWE has really made its bed with its current TV output and it has to lie in it now, which I do believe the nine or so hours they have to pump out every week is going to make this more difficult as it comes along. Yeah. I think there was a little bit of good grace that was there with the fans for WrestleMania. But once you take away the word WrestleMania... I'm worried. Money in the Bank was announced for for May, Joe. For fucking May. Well, it's going to be in front of no one. Look, here's the thing. The the, the we the we won't review it rule I think is only going to be in place for like you know for Saudi where there's like blood money. Yeah. You know, we will review these we shows. Will. Someone's However, got to. Someone's got it cuz God knows you're not going to watch them, you know. <laughs> so, we will review those shows, but for our own sanity we're still going to be doing classic pay-per-views. I'm not going to lie to you folks, my absolute highlight of the entire last week and a half with all the watching and build up for WrestleMania and all the watching of stuff to help me kind of prepare for WrestleMania. It was watching Halloween Havoc for, for pay-per-view classic. I can't Aww. wait for you to hear the episodes. I can't wait to get another vote up and get another one recorded soon because yeah, we're we're gonna need to watch some classic wrestling because otherwise, I mean, your wrestling fandom is like the Olympic flame here. I mm. can't let it go out, although no. I know it will definitely go out several times when you're watching several things. <laughs> you know. WrestleMania in front of no one was very much the proverbial rainy day running through the streets full of people who think the Olympics is an imperialistic organization and we're gonna fucking get that flame. <laughs> but you enjoyed yourself. I absolutely loved it. And you hey. know what? I'm so glad I got to be a wrestling fan during such a weird time because I feel like I wouldn't have really understood any of this if I hadn't been doing this podcast as long as we've been doing it I wouldn't have watched this show if you weren't here that's true you did say that I I would not have watched it I would have given up after the second match yeah you said if it wasn't your job you wouldn't watch it (laughs) but like honestly a big part of it was seeing how much you were enjoying it and your your enthusiasm rubbed off on me and it kept me invested I'm just so excited what they can do going from here and I was talking about this about three weeks ago about my idea for an indie wrestling show where you have a like a DJ or someone like creating music on loops yeah while the match is going on because I think if you have a musician who is also a wrestling fan and understands the psychology and pacing of a match you could actually put a soundtrack to a match live quite easily someone who can you know the thing about wrestling though is that it's it's mostly on the fly all the yep. times there can be dynamic changes in, in tone yep. and shift and speed and time signatures I still think it Joey's can be done it's the time for the improv jazz musician to yes. finally make their way into wrestling <laughs> is basically what we're saying yes. you put a band up there you spread them across you have Elias be the lead guitarist come on now it'd be great <laughs> I just think yeah if you've not got crowds it, you need some kind of noise and why not music I just I want to see more music in wrestling I loved seeing it at Wrestlemania I loved the cinematic style and you know even the stuff that wasn't cinematic it was just interesting to see how these wrestlers got around these weird circumstances yeah. it's just fascinating i love this i'm so happy i got to see this live it's good to know the excitement for what they will do is still there even though i think as the weeks and months go on we will get a more and more of a sense of what they will probably do and i think the innovation is definitely coming more from aew it felt up until this point but this was now a straight flex of a billion dollar corporation that has, you know, a film to studio, you know, level of, of, of production value at the moment. You know, they have 
all of these resources, all of these people. AEW doesn't. The as long as these two sets of shows are still running, I think you're going to get what you want. You you will be excited still, I think, because AEW are going to have to try and pull some rabbits out of the hats now, and WWE. Similarly, now you know a good wrestling show is a good wrestling show, and now it's yesterday's news. You know, so and we need to go on to the next wrestling show. <laughs> I am so grateful that we have AEW because I do worry that without AEW being like that constant threat of competition, be less of that, yeah. there would have—I don't think we'd have had the cinematic matches at all. I think it was seeing what they are doing and the fact that everyone was like, "AEW are pulling off shows without crowds," and it's amazing. If anything, yeah. it's better. And we were like, "Oh shit, we've got WrestleMania. We have to compete against them." I absolutely shudder to think what Money in the Bank will be like. Oh, goodness. We're meant to be coming to you with that in May. There'll be pay-per-view classic, lots of bonus content coming out here on the Patreon feed for you folks, as well as a new, completely different free podcast that Joe, Adam, and I will be releasing hopefully sometime this month. We haven't got an exact ETA on it, but yeah, we've got some steam to blow off, so there'll be extra content here coming your way. Joe, I will ask you to keep in mind your next brief for the next pay-per-view classic vote, which will be going up very, very shortly. Mm. And you will, of course, as well be looking for questions for your monthly Q&A video series as well, yes? Yes, of course. You can send them to me over on Twitter at HowToWrestling or at the Joanna Graham, Or you can send us an email at HowToWrestling at gmail.com or any other places you find me. Just drop me, drop me a message. Ask me a question. Watch a nice, another hour-long video, huh? I know. You're going to get sick of my face <laughs> so get yourself quarantined with joe become a ten dollar backer get access to there's now three q a's up now isn't there yes oh wow it's fantastic and a fourth one coming here as well for the month of april and if you're looking to advertise on how to wrestling there'll be more spots available as there'll be more episodes hopefully coming out during this time period get in touch how to wrestling at gmail.com or you can head over to patreon.com forward slash how to wrestling for any and all inquiries and thanks for being a lovely five dollar backer we'll catch you later in the month with some classic pay-per-view action until next time where we'll be continuing to do our podcast right here in front of absolutely no one in the performance center i.e. downstairs it's a goodbye from me kevin and a goodbye from me joe i will see you next time on how to wrestling see ya